0: However, you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially on this 4th of July week. We're recording on 4th of July. So if you're hanging out, waiting for some fireworks and downloaded our show, or maybe you've downloaded a little later and you're in your barbecue hangover, we're going to get you through with 90-plus minutes of gaming goodness in your ear holes because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, completely free. That's thanks to our sponsors this week, Mac, Weldon, and Linode. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis... The guy who long ago took his talents to the Golden State, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Welcome and happy Fourth of July.
1: Happy Blink One Eighty Two, California, to you too, Jeff. <laughs>
0: oh man, uh, we we are recording this on uh, the American holiday, Independence Day, uh, and uh, Christian, you know, he's he's taking some time out. I'm taking some time out of of our celebration uh, of that day and, and and fireworks to to talk to you guys about games. And we needed a guest. We needed a guest to join us. So, what did we do? We went to Canada to find a guest. (laughs) You know that DLC is always your downloadable Canada and your downloadable Christian. But this week, we're excited because, once again, DLC stands for Digital Life in Canada. Because from the Toronto Sun and EP Daily, our old friend Steve Tilley is back on the show. Welcome, Steve.
2: Gentlemen, thanks for having me back. I feel honored as a Canadian to be on the show on... Independence Day. Like, do you guys call it – do you call it the 4th of July? Do you call it Independence Day? What is the proper title of this holiday? Either today?
0: or. I think both of those are applicable. We, okay. we, we go back and forth. Um, uh, well, happy birthday, America. Yeah. And you, is happy uh, Canada Day, a little belated. Thank you. Canada Day, yeah. Thank you. A few days ago. It was a good one. I looked back and the last time we had you on the show, Steve, was uh, was for Thanksgiving.
2: Because <laughs> 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 all the holidays.
0: I'm yeah. available on Christmas, by the way. <laughs> you're available on <laughs> yes. all the American holidays because yours are a little
2: different. Uh, we gotta celebrate be, well, we celebrate Christmas on a different day. Do you know that? Well, you must know that, right? You, you celebrate Christmas, Christmas on a different December day. 50, December fifteenth is Canadian Christmas. Yeah, is that? right? I,
0: like? I, I, I'm kidding. Oh, you're kidding me. I was like, what? <laughs> um, anyway, we got we got lots to talk about. Not just uh, you know barbecue and burgers and dogs and watching fireworks. We got lots of video games to cover. Um, we're going to talk about the game inside. We got lots of cool, interesting news to get to, so let's not delay any farther. Let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag on Twitter. That is DLC S O T W for Story of the Week. Also, I have to tell you, uh, the place to be is our subreddit, which is 5x5DLC.reddit.com. Uh, I want to thank – oh, goodness. What's his name? Uh, I should have had it here. Um, Mike. Gregory uh, went in the subreddit this week and he gave away dozens of codes for video games to our listeners. So if you're not checking out our uh-huh. subreddit, you're missing out on awesome stuff. He's just a listener. He had some extra, extra codes for Steam games and he went to the subreddit and gave them away. Really, really cool of him. So thanks, Good Mike. Good job, for- Mike. Yeah. Also, the voting is happening in the uh, subreddit for the VR bumper music. It is hot and heavy. We're going to play one of the bumpers this week that's in the lead. But you can continue to vote uh, by going to the thread in the, in the um, subreddit called What is Your Preferred Bumper Music? And uh, Doc, Dr. Hoff uh, set up a, uh, a cool vote there. It's getting a lot of votes and a lot of activity. So you guys can – we're going to keep that open for a few more weeks and try to figure out which, which bumper to stick with. Anyway, story of the week – Steve, you are our guest.
2: Uh, what is your story of the week? Wow, I get to pick. Um, I, I want to talk about this. I don't know if it's the story of the week, but it's the one that's grabbed my imagination. It was this this Palm Desert guy on Steam who is the first Steam user to pass level thousand? I think he's like a level eleven, eleven now. This yeah. like this guy is this guy's a legend in the Steam community, but I can't. I, I've been like I've been following this guy for years now. He's the first one to hit level 500. People don't know that your level sort of corresponds to not only the amount of games you play, but the amount of games you buy on steam. And this guy owns more than half of the steam library, like more than half of the entirety of steam gaming. He is, he owns and, and has played. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I'm trying to get, get a sense of like, first of all, where does he find the time and where does he find the money? Where does this, this is like a, 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 an investment of tens of thousands of dollars.
0: Well, this is and, a great story to talk about this week because the
2: Steam summer sale is going on. Exactly. And I thought <laughs> I was paying a lot of cash. I thought, you know, I'm throwing down, I'm buying all these games, I mean I have them in my collection. I'll probably never play them. You know, I got a stack of thirty Steam games I might never get to. I thought I had a spending ha- or you know, spending habits on Steam. This guy's insane.
0: It, it is it is crazy the the pure numbers of it all. So he owns five thousand twenty nine games and three thousand three hundred seventy two pieces of DLC, and the entire library on Steam right now is made up of seven thousand four hundred eighty one games. So of seven thousand four hundred games, <laughs> he owns five thousand of them. So if if anybody ever criticizes you for a large Steam library, just go hey at least I'm not Palm Desert. Um, but I think that, you know it's something you bring up, Steve, which is. Uh, You know, during the Steam Summer Sale, I've been spending way more money than I thought, mostly buying VR stuff, but Uh lots of things. And then feeling guilty, like, oh, am I going to play this? This guy not only owns all this stuff, he backs it up with hours. He has 943 hours played in Left 4 Dead 2. Left 4 Dead 2. And 569 hours in Rocksmith 2014. So it's not just that he owns all these games he, as you said, he somehow is inventing more hours in the week to be able to play
2: them. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think. I've, I've added up all the hours of all – like all the Bethesda RPGs I've ever played, like, like all the Elder Scrolls games, all the Fallout games. I don't think that even totals the amount of time. This guy has simply played Left for Dead 2, and that's just one of the games on in his library. I, You know, there's the, – he's kind of a legend. He's almost like a mythic figure in Steam. There's some – rumors that he may be the guy who invented bitcoin there's some rumors that maybe he's actually a whole bunch of people he's like a collective i don't know i i like i want somebody to do a documentary on this guy track him down and interview him and maybe that's happened already i don't know i just just find out what his life is like like is it built around gaming or i don't know does he do it to have the highest the you know be number one the leaderboards i don't know but i am fascinated
0: I think a documentary would be really cool. Uh, I think that would be an awesome idea, and it does seem like it may have to be more than one person. But, but if it is one person, Christian, I ask you, great gamer or the greatest gamer?
1: (laughs) Well, I just think Gabe Newell has a lot of time on his hands. (laughs) Haven't made a game in years. He's playing Left 4 Dead that much because he's waiting for Left 4 Dead 3 <laughs> to come out. Um, also, sadly, the Steam Summer Sale or Your Welcome Wallet is over. Mm-hmm. I believe it ended earlier this morning on the Fourth of July. So your wallets are safe. Um, <laughs> Not really, but uh, yeah, no, they're, never yeah. No, they're never safe. Yeah, they're never safe, Mister. You pre-ordered another VR headset. Um, did you really? I did. Is that
0: is <laughs>
2: true? <laughs> I did. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. Jesus>, met <man. laughs> PlayStation <laughs> VR for pre-orders on. Oh, okay, okay, that's that's cool. That's that. I understand. <laughs> I thought
1: you were, still, you were picking up a second vibe or a second. Oh Oculus no, it's not that bad. I mean, not yet. He doesn't have the, the <laughs> second room for it yet. I mean, I, I think this is great. I mean, it, it's easy to go back to '80s or '90s geek shaming, and and I think news stories if they do pick this up in the mainstream, oh, nerd in basement. But if you looked at a guy, you know, Kobe Bryant after every game shot a hundred free throws, awesome. He's dedicated to what he does. Mm -hmm. This person loves playing video games or this collective. And I just hope that the monetary thing is where you hope that they're spending their money wisely and not, you know, starving them or their family. But uh, that's awesome. It just makes me nostalgic for college when I had time to, you know, we had, I forget what it was, but it was like a dorm wide soul caliber bracket that had, you know, double elimination. I mean, like my door to my dorm was this huge, like two poster board taped together double elimination soul caliber tournament and i'll tell you what that was living
2: (laughs) i mean it's it's almost it's almost too easy to say uh how does somebody spend thousands of hours gaming but i mean he's gained a a level of notoriety within the community that is that is incredible i mean he's he has chosen to do something with his time and his money that um uh, but see the thing i'm curious about is is does he do it to be number one or does he do it because he is simply that into the games. And the hours he's racked up on these games sort of indicate that it's probably the fact that he just loves gaming. And there is no shame in that. I mean it's 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 too easy to say, oh go outside, you know, get a girlfriend, that did you can't have a job. But man, this is his chosen thing, and to wholeheartedly embrace it like that, I think is weirdly noble
0: in a way. I think it's also proof that if you put a ranking on anything, <laughs> people will get competitive number one. Exactly. Yeah. Somebody has to try to get on top of it. It doesn't matter. I put a number on it. Okay, I need to be the best.
1: Yeah. Also, Palm Desert, um, we have a mic open for you. Whenever you want to come in, on the show, <laughs> yeah. please know that we have a mic ready and waiting for if you. If
0: anybody knows Palm Desert or yeah. the collective that is Palm Desert, uh, maybe it's the entire city of Palm Desert. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's apparently, like,
2: his profile says like he's a Japanese guy. He says, I cannot understand English very well, but it's not a big deal to me. Just a gaming dude. I love that. You know, that's, that's very pure. That's very yeah. pure. If that's really, if it is just a gaming dude, or if it is, you know, 39 gaming dudes in this, this weird collective doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. He's transcended his physical form.
0: We can all <laughs> agree on that. Uh, I, I'm glad we started with that story because that's, a very, I think, a very positive, fun story. And I, we're going to get a lot darker. <laughs> so, uh, Christian, what is your story of the week?
1: Well, I'm going to ease us into the darkness. And I know the big one we're going to talk about. But I, this needed to be brought up because it happened at the end of last week's show. Or before, we missed it for last week. And um, it goes along with slapping your head. How can people be so stupid? But the Quirk Ford dealership had a great deal oh, – yeah on a ford fiesta i think it was ford focus and uh where oh yeah the 2016 ford focus that's just ripped off like this email that they sent out was just straight up firewatch um art assets the banner from the twitter profile with instead of firewatch it says ford freedom sales event and it created Quite the stir online with um, people alleging Ford was involved because Ford does have an official Explorer versus Highlander YouTube video that uses very similar art. Not exact same art, but very similar art. And then this is straight up 100% ripped off Firewatch art, which is just indie
0: game. Nobody will notice. It's just some stupid indie game. Nobody who's going to notice that.
1: I think it's I think it's more innocent but also more naive than that. I think someone googled, you know, some uh I don't know if you want to call him a graphic designer or not or someone at a, you know an internet a design firm or whatever this was googled, you know, like hip forest imagery and found a thing <laughs> yeah. on you know wallpapershd.biz. No, and, I probably found it on
0: Google image search and just yeah. like right click save as.
1: Yeah, and then dropped their text on it and, and, you know, away they went because, I mean, this is is a world where we have people on both sides of the aisle doing the same thing in political campaigns, repurposing images that they find places. And you have everybody, you know, does it. And now, of course, whether this wasn't Ford involved or not, a a dealership doing something like this, but then really repurposing it and making it look like a snazzy art is just – Oh, the best of times, the worst of times, Internet. I don't know. I did, however, um, get my own custom – I'm now a graphic designer too. And if you send me an image of a video game, I will erase the name of the video game and put Ford on it for you for uh, very cheap.
2: That could be a lucrative side gig. Yeah,
0: Right. (laughs) I'm just excited for all the new Ford focuses that Campo Santo is going to get to drive around in (laughs) after their lawsuit. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's pretty – it's pretty brazen and –
2: and it seemed like the dealership kind of uh, uh, shrugged it off, or at least they did initially. Um, I'm not sure what the follow up was, but they initially said, "Yeah, well, yeah, you know, mistakes, whatever. Just calm down." Yeah, um, yeah. At least I guess I guess the one the one scene, grace is it was a, a fairly local thing. It was like you know a Ford national ad campaign that they just ripped it off. But I, I don't know. It's just it's the it's kind of this this weird flagrant disregard for intellectual property, and I almost wonder. Did they know it was from a video game and thus thought it was okay, somehow more okay to, to rip it off than versus you know something that had been used in a movie or or a book cover something like that? Or is it just like you're know, saying, just like you know, cool kind of foresty image? Right click save.
0: Yeah, my guess is that that Christian is is accurate. Is that it, it's just it's just laziness. It's really just let's find an image. It not even caring to look what it came from. Just thinking that if it's on the internet I can use it and who cares Uh, yeah it's it's pretty amazing
1: it could be a layer you know oftentimes clients and you know my relation to this business and then as an attorney as well you know clients can be lazy too i want something that looks like this and then you give them something that's like your own version and they're like no 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 like this (laughs) and and also it could have been maybe an innocent mistake where they worked it up as a mock instead of hey we're going to create something like this here you go because let's not forget Um, in the Uncharted 4 trailer. You know, they had reused Assassin's Creed art in there that they claimed was a mistake. It was a placeholder for setting the tone and whatever. And so there's a whole range of spectrum of this type of thing. But I think the moral of the story is be careful. Source your work all the way down or source your jokes if you're going to be taking people's memes. It's not hard to do. So let's take the time to do it. Otherwise – you get Game Informer reaching out to the Ford dealership, and then them hanging up on Game Informer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's crazy.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up the fact that you're a lawyer, Christian, because for <laughs> my for my, uh, my story of the week, uh, I think we're, you know we talk from, to Mark from marketing a lot, but I think we're going to need to talk to Lee from legal. Um, <laughs> oh, Lee Gal, uh, Mr. Gal, yeah, Lee Mr. Gal. Gal. Uh, because, uh, this late breaking story that a whole bunch of people tweeted and, uh, submitted for stories for story of the week. And it's a, it's a pretty heavy story. Um, and it's just breaking this morning, July 4th. Uh, so, you know, there may be a lot more information that comes out by the time you hear this, but we're going to talk about it because I think we, we do know a lot, uh, thanks to some investigation, I guess, investigative journalism done by YouTubers. If you can (laughs) combine those two concepts in Mm -hmm. your head, um, so, we talked a few weeks ago about the class action lawsuit against Valve uh, around gambling in CSGO. And this is uh, related to that uh, in the sense that it turns out that a couple of very powerful, very popular YouTubers um, by the name of uh, T Martin and Pro Syndicate, these guys combined have like 10 million YouTube subscribers. They are very prominent CSGO YouTubers, and they have posted a whole bunch of videos of them using a site called CSGO Lotto to gamble and uh, gamble on Counter-Strike weapon skins, which are worth a whole lot of money and actually translate right into real human dollars pretty quickly. Uh, And if if you were curious about whether or not this is actually gambling, the site is called CSGO Lotto. So there's not really any veil of mystery around that. It's straight up gambling. It's straight up gambling that kids are
1: allowed to do for some reason. There, I guess the site recommends that you're 13. But uh, what? So not. not well, the that's legal just a way. general recommendation. That's everything, right? Like you could be my friend, but I recommend you be 13 if you're going to be my friend. <laughs> right? You know. Well. But you'll 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 be friends with nine year olds. Let's be nine year olds <laughs> fine. I just recommend 13 year olds.
0: Uh, so anyway, so these two guys have posted a bunch of videos of them winning crazy amounts of money on this CSGO lotto site. Well, guess what? They are the president and vice president respectively of said site. They own it. They created it. They didn't tell anybody that they just, they posted videos on YouTube. Like, oh my gosh, I found this crazy site and I'm making so much money. And then they post videos of themselves
1: winning like $13,000 in 12 seconds in the name of the well, guys, hold on. Sorry. I just found this amazing site, (laughs) christianspicer.com. Oh, my God. You guys, there are these videos here called marriages that are in this podcast. There's a podcast called DLC. Oh, my God. You guys. Oh, Twitter account. Twitter account. at Spicer is promoting a podcast. God, break it out.
0: I think you've 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 got the YouTube uh, formula down pretty good, there, Christian. Oh, my also, YouTube sub just hit a million. You guys. also yeah. how do, how do I know that Christian's wife and kids aren't home? <laughs> he did that. I better. don't
1: know what you mean. They're at a Fourth of July parade, and I can do what I want. Uh,
0: well, <laughs> thankfully, uh, some people have been on the case. Uh, there are a couple of of different other YouTubers H3H3 Productions and Honor the Call basically posted pretty in-depth takedown videos of them stepping through what kind of douchebags these dudes are for basically uh running a a betting syndicate online I mean the guy's name is Syndicate so I guess you don't you shouldn't be surprised about that pro syndicate <laughs> um you know, alleging that all of their excitement uh, as Christians, so dramatically reenacted, all their <laughs> excitement uh, is manufactured and ph- phony that they, because they own the website and can do whatever they want, they rigged it so that they would win a few times to create these videos, created the videos and have been uh, swindling people out of dollars doing an illegal wagering site and lying about it, which is uh, a blatant FCC violation uh, and I guess it's also a crime. Hmm. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the. <laughs> so, it, okay. So, Steve, your thoughts on this, but also, is this the beginning of the end for CS:GO wagering at all? Is is Valve going to have to step in and be like, okay, guys, everybody out of the
2: pool, we're done? Well, this is kind of uh, this sort of this a broader. I don't want to say problem, broader issue that, that esports in general are going to have to address. I mean, is, is the fact that any sort of competitive activity is going to have gambling around it. And we're sort of still in the wild West, even though, you know, CSGO has been around for years, and, and we've and we've been doing uh, you know some esports competitions for years. It's still kind of the wild west where this stuff is concerned. There's no overarching governing body that's kind of looking after this stuff. It's like pockets of of uh, corporations sponsoring leagues, or sponsoring teams, and until we get some kind of I guess oversight body in place, this kind of thing is going to happen. Um, I think Valve should. Not necessarily clamp down on wagering entirely because you can't do that. It's impossible. I mean, there's going to be whether you you monitor or moderate it or not, it's going to happen. But um, there's also, I mean, I don't want to. The owner should not be on the the the, the better in this case necessarily. But you got to do some due diligence. You know, you got to when you look at this the site and say see these two guys going nuts, winning. You're thinking. I don't know. Looks really good. Almost too good to be true. Should I, you know, should my my spider scammer sense be tingling here? It's it's kind of just such a new frontier that I think it's going to take a little bit of um, education on the part of people who want to who actually want to to wager on on. CSGO or esports in general, but also some kind of yeah, some kind of oversight, some kind of monitoring. I don't think there's a way to really make it. I don't think it's a good idea to necessarily make it structured and legal. So I don't know. it's a, it's a weird. I don't know. There's so many tentacles here. Yeah. it's hard to know where it's going to land.
0: Yeah, I, I you know I sympathize with that, and I certainly think that uh, you know buyer beware. And hopefully, as this story gains traction and more people hear about it people will become more informed about this stuff. But the thing that's so nefarious is they're, they're specifically targeting whether intentionally or unintentionally, they're specifically targeting kids who are by definition, not savvy. They haven't been around. Mm. That's why gambling has a minimum age. It's because when you're a kid, You don't have any context to go, hey, this sounds too good to be true. You just go, this sounds great. (laughs) Uh, And you have a person on YouTube who has 9 million followers and you go, wow, they they can do it. I can do it. They're just like me. That's why I watch them and like them. It's because they're just like me. Why I don't have any context to even suspect that they would be involved in the ownership of this site because they told me they just came across it and just found it. So – I think this is as nefarious as it gets, uh, and these are young people who are, in my opinion, committing a crime. Uh, not and not not that gambling is a crime, but this is a this is a uh, this is fraud. This is a Ponzi mm-hmm. scheme. This is this is creating a, a a way to to get rubes away from their money, and mm-hmm. uh, I think it's disgusting. And I think honestly it points to exactly what you're talking about Steve that youtube is still a place that is completely uh, unregulated and i'm not calling for regulation but it's it's also there are no there are no structures in place to have any kind of consequences for people that have a large popularity right. on youtube right what is wonderful about youtube is that anybody can do it and anybody that you're not tethered to any kind of um, you know, Gatekeeper—that's what's great about YouTube, but it's also what's bad about YouTube because there's nobody saying, "Hey, we need to have a sort of best practices and a morality clause, and there's a contract and yada yada yada."
2: Um, Hopefully, the the FTC will get involved, or you know, investigators will get involved. And if nothing else, it'll be a uh, um, a learning opportunity for people to to you know to to go into this with some skepticism. But if these guys actually end up getting charged or, or accused of something, that too could have, I mean, hopefully that will gain enough widespread traction to make people say, look, you got to, I mean, it's, it is, it is it is the wild west. You've got to do your homework. You've got to, and I, like you say, it's, it's, it's hard when you're a kid. I remember being a kid and being, being sucked into s- schemes like this. It's, it's hard to have that, uh, you know, it's hard to make the distinction between your, some popular YouTuber who you, you like and admire and follow and some guy who's just out there to, to fleece you because you're too young to know any better. Yeah.
0: All right. So let's get Lee from legal. <laughs> uh, Mr. Chris, Mr. Spicer with your,
1: uh, with your lawyer hat on, I know you're no Long. longer practicing disclaimer, disclaimer, right? Cannot give legal advice. I I think first of all, it's easy to jump on the influencer hate train and say youtubers are so dumb and naive they're always trying to mislead their audiences you know they'll do get a code from ea or 50 bucks from ea and tout how madden is the best game ever blah 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 well i
0: agree well but the, well, and, and i'm sorry to interrupt but like we get tarnished with that same brush and and every, every time one right. of these stories comes out and i you know talk about how Microsoft's E3 conference wasn't as great as I wanted it to be or wasn't as great as Sony's. Somebody's like, well, they must be paying you. So you're in the pocket. And it like, <laughs> sucks to be painted with that same brush when it is a world of difference and not true.
1: Anyway. Sorry. Yes. I, I. So I... I I agree with what you said. I agree with what you and Steve said earlier about this whole thing. It is ho- horrible, awful. These guys are scum, especially now with like the reply video that um, one of them did saying, how could you sleep with yourself if you were doing this kind of thing? I've always disclosed it and it looks like he didn't. And yes, this is this is scum. But here's the but. Um, a lot of bands became big in the early days of radio through payola which was unregulated and now illegal, but still happening. Uh, was the practice of paying a radio station to play your song instead of somebody else's? And not disclosing it and hyping it up, and it looks like it's independent, and this is generating real buzz. Yes, thank you for the clarification. Enron was a very large company that uh, (laughs) Bernie Madoff was a horrible individual. And, um, oh, man, I had one other thing. What was my other? Everything. Well, that is that well, is the, things. the larger point is that I don't want to just paint this as a YouTuber, influencer, or scum. This is people are often short-sighted and sometimes straight up evil or manipulative and, and greedy in an attempt to make themselves look cool and take other people's money. And I think in this specific example, these young gentlemen – I think that they honestly have lied to themselves enough to think that they weren't doing anything wrong, that they were trying to get their message out to people about this company that they started and they have this site and, you know, we're not going to touch what other people do, but how can we make it attractive to people? This is the easiest way to do it. And then they make money from the way the site makes money. It's gambling. You're going to lose money anyway. And, and the harder problem in terms of, of catching this kind of stuff or, or, or prosecuting it is it's happening everywhere. And until something gets enough traction or or someone like Honor the Call was, I guess, the first YouTube channel that kind of did the research on this and found the incorporation documents. You don't want to live in a world where it's buyer beware everything. Like you watch a video, like you said, you know, you listen to our E three reaction episode and it's like oh well clearly sony you know oh jeff and anthony are friends anthony is doing live streams for sony this year jeff says that microsoft's press conference wasn't as popular wasn't as good as sony's connect the dots it's clear that jeff is in- okay christian owns two playstation 4s only one xbox one <laughs> his game of show was horizon zero Dawn. connect the dots his favorite color is blue um which it is by the way it, so <laughs> red forever it's tough, red Oh, I thought it would be uh, blue and gold. Um, You can't (laughs) – you you don't want to live in a world – red and gold, red and gold. (laughs) Gold, Jeff likes money. He accepts payment. You don't want to live in a world where you're so guarded to everything. Oh, I remember my other example. Um, But at the same time, you know, we watch The Tonight Show, and not nine times out of ten, maybe four out of five times. The guest on that show is another – I was on another show either on that network or owned by that same parent company, and it looks like we're so excited to have uh, Tom Cruise on the show. Tom Cruise is the biggest superstar in the world who also happens to be releasing a movie owned by Viacom that's coming out this month. It pays our money. keep paying our bills, and we're going to do. it, yeah. and then they're running an ad for the movie. It's like – Well, this – you know, Christian, I hate to get – It's a horrible thing. I hate to get political
0: and real, but I, this is why people vote for Trump because they feel like everyone is lying to them. And finally, this guy says awful things, but at least he's being honest about how awful he is. And yeah. for once in my life, I want to vote for the guy who's not lying to my face. And that's the problem. But he problem. is, though. Well, no, he is, no like I, I I, agree with that. But okay, I just needed to get that the in there. Sentiment,
2: the sentiment
0: <laughs> is everybody's lying to me. I can't trust anyone. And it sucks because, as we've seen and as I said, we all get painted with the same brush. Like these two douchebags do this completely dishonest and – and really morally reprehensible thing. And then anybody on the internet is painted with the same brush. And you and I, who, you know, do this show are like, Oh, we're clearly taking money for something when it's not true at all. So it's people,
1: Daro has it? Go ahead.
0: people don't have the ability to, to separate those things. And it's very frustrating. Now, maybe we should take the, Conversation and redirect it a little bit because I th- happen to think...
1: Well, so real quick, yeah. remember what are going to say before we lose the thread. It's Darrow, I think, has a good point in the chat where he says, uh, they still would have made plenty of money saying they owned it, but there's a chance to win. You know, like, be proud yeah. of this thing that you own and, hey, this is thing, go do this thing. All right, go ahead. Well, redirect I also, you know, Aaron MT said in the chat, I, I don't want the internet policed. And I, I understand that, which
0: is why this pivot point that I'm trying to make is... I think the much more likely event is kind of how I teed this up to to Steve originally. I think Valve has to do something, and that that something that they have to do is shut all this down. I think I think at this point, like there's one thing about the class action lawsuit that can sort of be among lawyers, but when it it turns into this kind of subculture that they're tacitly endorsing and allowing to thrive. And really, creating the mechanism through which it thrives, and this kind of shenanigans are going on, I I, I think they have a responsibility to shut it down. Hmm.
2: You talk about tacit endorsement, though. That's really that's that's YouTube in a nutshell. They there's so much wrong with. I mean, there's there's a lot of great content on YouTube. It's a, it's a very democratic platform. Anybody can do anything, and if it's good. And if it finds an audience, I mean, it's it you you have the world that you're broadcasting to. But YouTube seems to just ignore so much of the the crap that happens and and so much of the badness and a lot of that. I mean, a good portion of that is centered around uh, centered around gaming and and gamers. And um, I don't want to hijack the story, but there's the, the story this week about uh, the the streamer who's getting swatted multiple times by somebody who doesn't like him. And uh, you know this there's. YouTube, because it is such an open platform, can also be used as a tool for recruitment and as a tool for getting your followers to do stuff that, you know, you might want to do but not get your hands dirty doing. It's just – I don't know. There's, I don't want to see YouTube as a whole police or regulated I'm with the, 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 the guy who doesn't want the, the internet police. But I would love to see some safeguards that protect people who are vulnerable or who who don't have you know the necessary – Tools are savvy to to protect themselves. I want to see some safeguards in place to to look after them and not just have it be like do what you want and until you blatantly violate a law or violate a very 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 minor copyright claim, you're you're on your own. We won't touch you. You know.
0: I I think I will lose some respect for Valve if they remain silent on this issue. I think they have to address it
1: somehow and the the good news is uh again with legal's disclaimer statement <laughs> you can do this and it doesn't make show culpability for the lawsuit for example if you have a staircase that is you know someone hurt themselves on and claims it's unsafe and you can fix the staircase before the lawsuit is resolved and they can't be like see they fixed it it was unsafe it's No, 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 you hurt yourself. We fixed it. (laughs) Like, just out of an abundance of caution, you can't use this as evidence against us showing culpability. Guys, I just found this amazing
0: staircase! (laughs) Have you seen the staircase? It leads to the top! It goes up, you guys!
1: Is that how that works? That's how how it works. (laughs) I just, I just, I, I hate, I hate, hate. the D-bag influencer culture out there because yes. there are so many wonderful influencers and the people that spend more time doing stuff like this um and creating scammy websites and spend more time worrying about their SEO and creating just crap content. Cause I know, I, I personally know some very wonderful, hardworking influencers. And, and I think, you know, it sucks that we get painted with this same brush, but it sucks what these people do for that whole scene because you have people that are very hardworking, making awesome content, contributing, contributing to the conversation in a very real, real way that they almost have to live in shame to some extent because of all of this garbage. So I think i I hope these people get their come and then I hope, as an audience, we learn the you know the harsh reminder again to take everything with a grain of salt, but do it mm-hmm. without losing our our wonder, lust, and joy in the yeah. world
0: i, I here, think here. uh sadly uh the the I'll leave the last word to uh, in the chat pixelated soul says daytime vampires taking over the world mm-hmm. yeah, well, I will be very upfront with you our beloved listeners, uh as to how this show makes any money. It's through our sponsors. That's the only way. <laughs> and uh we're glad to have them. In, in fact, you know, here we are on Independence Day, and I'm celebrating my independence by sitting here wearing nothing but my Mac Weldon maroon
1: boxer shorts. Jeff Canada <laughs> did not found the company Mac Weldon. I wish I had because they, they do a they do a great, <laughs> great job.
0: <laughs> they, uh I'm, I'm literally sitting here wearing maroon under uh, boxers and nothing else because uh, – I don't know if you are aware, but it's about a billion degrees in Los Angeles and our uh, state <laughs> is on fire. So um, you need to stay comfortable. You need to stay uh, as comfortable as you possibly can be and I don't know any other way to stay more comfortable uh, and still have any clothes on whatsoever than to be wearing Mack Weldon's. Basics. Uh, these are the most essential part of your wardrobe and often, unfortunately, the part of the wardrobe that people pay the least amount of attention to. Don't let that be you. Wear comfortable underwear. Wear antimicrobial underwear. Wear comfortable shirts and socks and undershirts and hoodies and sweatpants. The things that you often will pay the least amount for at some crappy you know, department store. You'll just grab a bag of whatever Hanes crappy thing you see on the shelf. No. Go to MacWeldon.com. understand that this stuff can be as high quality as the rest of your wardrobe, and you'll actually feel better about it, and let us save you money. Because you listen to this show, you can go to MacWeldon.com, use the promo code DLC at checkout, and they'll give you 20% off. Try a bag of their wonderful underpants. They come in a really high-quality delivery system. It's all free shipping. It's great. They look good. They feel good. They smell good. It's great. Uh, 20% off. MackWeldon.com. Promo code DLC. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Slash. No, slash. Not even a slash. Just a promo code. D-L-C at checkout. It's what I'm wearing right this second. And I'm telling you the honest to goodness truth uh it's real
2: cool. I'm, I'm i'm literally on their site right now seeing if they ship to canada oh i hope uh, they do post a, I, I
1: don't post a picture jeff post a picture, a picture the internet happen. needs proof we need proof man <laughs> we can't if i'm gonna believe anything i have to believe you
2: <laughs> you never know when you're gonna be in an accident and you don't want to be wearing bad underwear you don't so your paramedics you don't. are gonna see it your mom's gonna see it yeah. when she comes to the hospital i was like gonna it. say it sounds like somebody has a mom
0: because you said that <laughs> sentence <laughs> Alright, guys, uh, we got a lot of great games to talk about, so let's get to the playlist. Ooh, it's a play- Steve, uh, I know you and I have been playing uh, one of the same games this week,
1: and it's brand new. We have. Can I ask a question real quick? Do I, should I step away? No, we're going to avoid
0: spoilers. Although, so we're going to talk about Inside, uh, which is the new game from Playdead. Their first game was Limbo. Um, and this is a game. Uh, there aren't many, but this is a game that can be spoiled big time. So mm-hmm. I really urge everyone to stay away from spoilers. Christian, when you play it, I want to do a bonus content spoiler edition on this game because it deserves to be talked about in full. But this mm-hmm. isn't the episode where we'll do that. Steve and I will talk about it in general terms, and you don't need to step away. So cool. let's start that spoiler-free discussion, Steve, uh, of, of Inside. First of all, did you, did you like Limbo?
2: I loved Limbo. Um, I played through Limbo probably four or five times uh, start to front, and when I heard Play Dead was making a new game, I remember, I think Phil Spencer talked about it at the last E3, I think it was when we first saw it, and um, from that moment, I knew I'm going to go out of my way to know nothing about this game going in. You know, I do that occasionally with movies, like a big franchise movie. My job, unfortunately, requires me to talk about movies a lot, but once in a while, I'm able to avoid seeing any trailers any of the movie. I did that with Inside because I wanted to know nothing going in. And if you can do that, if you have not played it, and you can go in knowing nothing, that's the way to explain
1: He was about to give a spoiler,
2: I think. <laughs> Did we just have to show him fully-
0: we lost what? you for a second
1: there. We lost you for a second. You said oh, you were I'm able so to sorry. do it with uh, with sorry. inside, and then you said a spoiler, and the government took you out. No, the Canadian, no, your, your <laughs> sexy hunky prime minister came <laughs> over notice? and uh...
2: super serious with online spoilers, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's
2: going to do a lot of good. He's going to eliminate spoilers. No, I was saying that the um, uh, the the best way to experience this, this game is knowing nothing about it, and it is one of the most pure examples of of game design that I've ever seen. There is so much in the kind of design language of the game in the way that it teaches you its systems without dialogue, without a tutorial, without a heads-up display of any kind. Without any text just, whatsoever. Exactly. It just teaches you the systems of the game while introducing you to this incredibly fascinating, dreary, dystopian world and I, I, I played through it. the first time I played through it. It was entirely in one sitting. I could not stop. I just could not stop playing it. I wanted to know what lies ahead. I wanted to know what the next puzzle was going to be. But I wanted to know more about the world and try to decipher the meaning behind the things I was seeing and and the background. And I'm not sure I did. I'm going to have to play through this game two or three more times. I think to to try to absorb exactly what the spine of the the the, the kind of world story is. Uh, but it's just it's just i don't know am i am i guessing too much Do you, do you not at all. No, I do No,
0: I think it's definitely a game of the year candidate for me um you hit on two of the big criticisms i think people have uh it's possible to play through it in one sitting ie it is not a super long game um which i don't think is a it, for me is not an issue because how much is there that it's a dense experience there isn't a single moment in the game that is wasted and I think there are more, more moments from the game that will remain in my memory much more than a much longer game would have. I, I think you can have a game that's 8, 10, 12 hours, and it doesn't have half of the memorable that things happen like, that this, you know, four hour, two hour, whatever it is, um, experience is. And
2: then the if second, You've played Limbo. Sorry, Jeff.
0: I'm sorry. I was going to say, and the, second, the second criticism I think uh, that you also touched on is I think people think that that maybe it doesn't add up to anything that it's sort of weird for the sake of weird. And there Mm -hmm. isn't any actual revelation to be had, which also doesn't bother me. I think it's and without talking about spoilers at all. I think the journey itself is so interesting and fascinating Mm -hmm. and varied and full of surprises and twists and turns that just because there isn't a, very easy explanation or a uh, a sort of moral or something to take away from it. I don't. I don't think
2: that that's a knock against it for me. Um, no, I, I like some ambiguity yeah. in games. I like games that that don't underestimate the player's intelligence and and don't spoon feed you plot beats or have you know expository cutscenes. I like a game that this is again wordlessly silent, not silently, but wordlessly tells a story, or it's almost like, I mean, it's almost like the games like Gone Home, that the games we call walking simulators. This is not that kind of game. This is a 2D side-scrolling puzzle platformer, but it's got kind of the same elements in that if you want to figure out the world, you've got to pay attention. You've got to look at the things going on. You've got to observe. Um, And that's what really drew me in. I was fascinated. I wanted to know what was going on here. And I don't, like I said, I don't understand what's going on, but I don't feel cheated. I feel... Just more uh, resolve to go back in and play it again and just see if I can absorb more of what's going on here, more of the world. And just the fact that it's just so beautifully designed. It is a beautiful looking game with incredible, incredible puzzles. Just the right amount of difficulty where you take some time to figure out what you're supposed to do, but you never get to that point where you're absolutely stuck.
0: Yeah. And it's got that thing where you will be in a situation and go, that's that's not possible. There's not enough here to do it. And then when you figure it out, you go, I am a genius. I <laughs> exactly. am a genius. You know, it, it gives you that wonderful feeling of accomplishment when you, when you figure out a puzzle. Um, but stepping back for a second, so if people don't have uh, as much context for this game. So mm-hmm. Limbo was uh, a game, two, very 2D, atmospheric. It sort of introduced this aesthetic of a very silhouetted world. And it also was one of those games – And I criticize games most of the time that do this. It was one of those games where you learn by dying. But Mm -hmm. what Limbo introduced was (laughs) these very graphic but very interesting deaths that (laughs) kind of made dying actually part of the experience, part of the fun in the sense of like, oh my god, he just got torn apart by a spider. That's awful. Um, Or whatever. I'm talking about Limbo. Uh, and this game inside could very well be Limbo 2. It, it, it very much uses those same principles, but I think transcends them in so many ways. And what it introduces is this – you are on a completely flat 2D uh, play plane of where you can play. But most of the interesting stuff that's happening in the world is happening in the 3D world beyond that plane – And you have to be aware of it. It it, it affects you in so many ways. You're constantly dying. And yes, you learn by dying in this game. There are many areas where there is no way to know what to do until you die. And whereas I would knock most games for that, the deaths in this game are so jarring Mm -hmm. and so striking and so well animated. And so there's an emotion in them. It's not just a video game character getting jibbed, you know. It is – you know, the human beings grabbing you and muzzling you and taking you to the ground and much, much worse and more intense than that. And, and, and they're emotional and they kind of lead you through that experience. And then they sort of subvert those expectations later in the game too, and, and do Mm -hmm. things with it and and use that conditioning that you've had through the game to give you even different kinds of experiences. Mm -hmm. It, as you said, it is a masterclass in game design. There are so many beautiful, small moments. I've never had more, oh my God, I just barely made it feelings. Like, uh, (laughs) you know, like in a movie where the guy just gets it from the jaws of the thing that was just snapping at his feet. You know, that moment happens in this game so many times and it's so beautifully executed. Mm -hmm. And also it speaks to where we are now with video games, which is such an exciting place to be in where it's not about graphics. It's about art design and the art design of this game. It does so much with so little and creates such a it? beautiful
1: firewatch. Yeah, firewatch is does it, did it, did it? No, did they just take firewatch art and yeah,
0: uh, yeah. It's basically firewatch, but more death.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, okay. going
0: firewatch. Yeah.
1: No. So I had to ask this question. Did you guys pay for the game? I did. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. All right. I, see, I figured I needed to. We should, we should, I think we should. We, that is one area where I feel like Jeff, you and I could do a little better job is if we do get a review. We do a pretty good job. But after today's story of the week, like let's, I want, we'll punctuate it or put it in the notes because I feel like we are the good guys in this and I want to keep being the good guys. So as you were gushing, I felt, I would feel it'd be weird at the end. Someone's like, <laughs> they
0: got a review code. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I paid for this one. Uh, what is it? $30, I think.
2: I think it's only 20, 20? 20 bucks.
0: I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> That's the sad part. But I, I, as I said, it's a short experience, but man, I got every cent of that value for that price yeah. out of this thing. I, I, I do think it is a, it's going to be in my top five of the year for sure. It is a big time game of the year contender and where it goes by the end is so incredible.
2: Yeah. We, we can't really, I mean, it's possible even to talk about the ending or the sort of the final stage of the game, but it's got for a game. That's got incredible animation throughout the final stages of the game have animation that it's, you know, we, we sort of have said this a lot over the years, about about video games, it's like watching an animated film. It is like being in control of an animated character. It's, it's, it's unreal because of this, I guess the, the, the sparsity of the environments, there's a real focus on the character animation. You play as a, as a young boy, um, just everything about it seems natural, but but the the it's it's so fluid. It's so fluid, and it's not to get like to the the technical stuff that may not make a difference. But I believe it's 60 frames per second throughout, which in this kind of game makes a huge difference because there's no separation between you and the reality of the game. Everything feels immediate and present, and there's a weight to it, and there's a weight to the characters' movements, and there's a weight to the objects you're manipulating in an the environment. And that stuff doesn't come easy. That stuff comes from the years of work that play Dead spent on this and and the their experience with limbo it's a hard thing to get to nail that sense of of an object being in the world and of moving through a world that's not easy and that it's so fluid and there's no you know jarring sort of skips in animations or or anything at all really to drag you out of the 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 world and the experience it's just a, it's a, it's an incredibly well crafted
0: game. I agree one hundred percent yeah the the animation is So good. It's so good. And little things like, um, him coming out of water and like taking a second to sort of have his head hung Mm -hmm. over and catch his breath or how he'll, he'll land from a jump and like take an extra stumble step or something or how, uh, you know, when you put your hands on something, the, the physics of how he pulls and yanks at things, it's Mm -hmm all oh, so good and water plays a really big part in the game and right. all of the water stuff is so gorgeous and it's simple and beautiful it, it is it is a true achievement this game it is something special is. not to be missed yeah there you go um christian
1: how <sighs> about you, deep breath how about you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll talk more about your playlist steve But let's uh hop over to christian and you tell me something on your playlist
1: well, I dove into the Steam Summer Sale when it was kicking, and I picked up um, Rise: Son of Rome on PC for four ninety nine. Oh, I picked, wow! <laughs> I, I feel like that's a good price for that game. I played yeah. it um, via GameFly on Xbox One back in in launch day, and uh, taking it for a spin again. I haven't fired it up yet, but five dollars seemed right. And then I picked up. Oh come on, brain! Don't do this to me. Oh yeah, a story about my uncle, oh, which Jeff rated so about two years ago. Hmm. And then more it was like recently, right? It was something insanely low price. Yeah, it was disgusting. Yeah. And <laughs> and then the game I paid the most for, I think it was fifteen or I don't know nineteen dollars. But I took the super hot plunge, Jeff. Uh, I know,
2: super hot, nice.
1: Yeah, you had raved about that game before, Sorry. and it's coming to VR. I need to. It is. It's coming. The VR experience is coming. I have not finished it. I've played, I don't know, maybe the first hour, 10 minutes. It also is not a very long experience from, you know, what I've been told and people you can find it on my Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. It's also archived on my YouTube, which is Christian Spicer seven one three, where I also talk about this dope super hot betting site I just (laughs) discovered. Um, (laughs) um, But super hot. And to, to echo, I guess, what you said months ago, Jeff, what an incredible game. And if you don't know anything about it and you forget what Jeff said, it's a first-person shooter where time virtually stops unless you are moving. But when you are moving, then everything moves. So bullets have a tracer effect to them and bad guys come in. And it's very stylized. I almost wish that Mirror's Edge Catalyst leaned graphically more towards super hot than what it does. It's like white walls... Um, you know St- Virtua fighter two polygonal type characters almost but very stark um and so enemies come into a room and you kind of it's a puzzle game as much as it is a shooter with the, the time mechanic and i cannot believe that it took this long in the era of first person shooters for someone to make a game like this it is so fun and when it works or well, not when it works when my brain works at its best and you walk into a room, you assess the situation. It's almost, you feel like you're Jason Bourne or that kind of person in a movie where you walk in and you're like six guys, first one at six o'clock has got a gun, (laughs) assess the threat. That guy's got a crowbar. I have nothing. And you go in and you punch the guy with the gun, catch the gun in the (laughs) air, turn to the crowbar guy, take him out, stop time, reassess, come back around, throw your gun at the other guy because it's faster than waiting for it to reload. When that goes seamlessly, it is one of the best experiences in gaming. Yeah, it's like, it's now, like to, you're
0: choreographing a Jackie Chan fight scene in real time. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yes. In real time, but you get to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, my main nitpick with it, or there's two and they're kind of, I guess related. It took me a while to learn that you can punch guys from further away than you think. There's, there's one map or board in the game where it's a lot of hand to hand combat that I played. And, you can punch guys without it look like you're hitting them. It really made that board easier for me to clear. And the other thing that bothers me a little bit is it seems like my guns take longer to reload than bad guy guns. Like even in real time, I'm like, oh, come on, come on. And then, <laughs> But of course, it's me also playing the board wrong. And then the last nitpick is bullets don't go through glass. Like I'll line up a shot through a window and I'll break the window And I'll be like, oh, no, I really needed that bullet to keep going right now. Um, But the music, the ambiance, the weird story it's telling me that I'm hoping pays off in some weird way where it just – it has a little bit of insanity effects in it where you kind of don't know what's happening. It's like quitting time. And I'm like, wait, what? And then a guy comes out. I'm like, oh, that's not quitting time super hot. That's me dying time. (laughs) Um. I'm very pleased with the game and I'm very pleased that I'm playing through my, my steam summer sale purchases. That's been a goal of mine every summer to actually play wow, them.
0: What <laughs> desert here you come. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Someone in the chat said, "Still too much Spicer." I don't know still what that means. Still too um, uh, price to pay for
0: Rise of uh, or uh, Oh, got it. That's, yeah, I was I'm a, like, yeah, I was like,
1: too much. Spicer. I was like, wait, stop. I was talk. like, <laughs> I was like wait, what? It's still too much Spicer. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people think that, but I was like, was wait. Like what? Ten minutes ago, he, he wrote that when you were random. Oh, it just popped up. I, okay, I'm behind. I'm looking at the dream.
0: Um, you've, uh, <laughs> you've also been playing the Fallout 4 DLC.
2: Yeah, uh, (laughs) the funny thing about the Fallout 4, but but Fallout 4 in general, is this is a game that I tried to artificially extend its length, which is kind of dumb considering there's so much DLC for it, but I, uh, for the hundreds, or at least many scores of hours I put into it, I have not actually finished the main quest, because I don't want to. I just kind of want to hold off and keep playing, wait for the DLC to come out, so I was really excited when Far Harbor came out recently and uh i haven't even started the far harbor quest line because i'm too busy building stuff man i got like a i got robots to build i got like cages to build for my deathclaws there's now the whole contraptions uh dlc it's like i'm just building stuff i've i've maxed out my main settlement i can't build anymore because it's got too many objects in it already so now i'm like okay what's going to be my next settlement to build out to the max it's i've i i sort of like Building type games. I've, uh, it's kind of why I really like Minecraft, is that I like to sort of just go off my own and, and build stuff, and to put that into a follow game is great but it's sort of been at the detriment of actually finishing <laughs> the Fallout game. So yeah, I've been fooling around with Fallout, but uh, I hear Far Harbor is great. It's uh, downloaded. It's waiting to go. It's in <laughs> my world. So I, I got things to do. I got a lab to finish. Yeah. I got you know, I got Deathbots, a Deathbot army to assemble. So I'll,
0: I'll, I'll get to Far Well, it Harbor. is kind of unfair Wait. in the main quest when they're like, OK, make this big decision. And once you do, there's no going back. And then I yeah. go... Okay, exactly. well, then there's like 400
2: other things I need to do
0: right now uh, instead yeah. of making that decision. So,
2: and I've kind of, I've kind of stopped right before the end game, and and um, just like oh, I'm just going to go around and and just keep talking to Preston Garvey, and I'm sure there's right. another settlement that needs saving somewhere,
1: yeah. and I'll do that for the next 200. Yeah, years
0: I'll clear out. Uh, I'll clear out bad guys from my 12,000th <laughs> – Structure now.
1: Yeah. Little does Steve know that he actually built Far Harbor. It's just been your. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you go and play, and you're like, son of a. <laughs> uh,
0: Christian, did you want to talk about this iOS game?
1: oh sure I like uh, highlighting stuff like this a listener sent me an email Daniel and he released uh, him and his brother released a, made and released a game for iOS called Flip ZYX and it's you know like those tile puzzles I haven't played tons of it I got frustrated <laughs> fairly early it is free to get with a pay later after you know 100 levels or I forget the exact details but free to get didn't seem overly offensive with its microtransactions and that I never got to a point where I needed to pay but like those little tile sliding games like a 2D Ruby not a rubik's cube but you know what I'm talking about where the puzzle the picture is mixed up and then you have to slide a piece one way one way one way one way and kind of match the picture it's that kind of idea the boards change with each level and you can with a timer it's kind of like the mission impossible fuse is going along mm. and you have to slide them to line up the pieces before the fuse goes you can pause it and take your time and not have that anxiety that you get when you're trying to buy concert tickets and you have four minutes to complete your purchase (laughs) (laughs) which is plenty of time but still the most nerve-wracking thing ah um yeah and it's well done for that type of game i get stressed out playing that type of game even with pausing it it is um not for me (laughs) in the sense that even when i pause it i'm like ah i should have the timer going i don't do well um with puzzle games on my phone because I'm either waiting for the doctor or going to the bathroom or something. And it's just, it's bad news, but, um, it it looks like a very competently well game, well-made game. If you like that kind of thing, it is called flip ZYX. It is free to get on iOS and it was made by a listener, which I think is awesome. If you are a listener and you have made something you are proud of, please let me know, let Jeff and I know, I think making stuff and making art is the best thing. And I will always do my best to highlight it. Cool beans.
0: Cool. Uh, Let's let's get to the VR segment. And as I said at the top, we're still deciding on the bumper music. We played all of them in last week's episode. Um, (sighs) But the current front runner, runner, I should say, is from our very own Sean Madigan who did the playlist bumper and uh, the – um parting gift bumper. Um this is the one that has the most votes, and so this is the one we're gonna use this week. But if you go to five uh, by five dlc.reddit.com and look for Dr. Haas Pfeffer's uh thread, you can vote and we'll see if we if this continues to be the leader. But right now, it's time for VR talk. All right, um, Steve. I know you have a Vive, and I do. you've been doing some intense Vive preparations.
2: <laughs> Here's the thing they don't tell you about owning a Vive. Owning a Vive is 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 not just the cost of the actual hardware itself. It's the cost of the things you have to do to adapt your home. It's the cost of a, to new, house, so exactly, a new house. Welcome hardware. Exactly. Exactly. I, I I live in a in a you know a, a one bedroom plus den condo, and it's like, you know. Maybe a two bedroom would be a good move, and you know, like this second bedroom could be like an office space, or a or a vibe. You know, a vibe space. <laughs> if it comes, you know, if that happens to happen, no. But what I've been doing recently is um, with my vibe setup. If you if you own a vibe, or if you know a vibe, you know that it comes with these two. Lighthouse sensors that have to be installed up high in the corners of your room to do the room scale of VR. And I had a, I had one of the sensors on a very tall monopod. I got it off off Amazon, and uh, I found there was a little bit of a sway to the monopod, and and uh, it would sometimes make my my world go a little bit shifty. Oof, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, when somebody bumps the sensor, all of a sudden your entire VR world starts rocking <laughs> oh, back and so I thought what. Well,
1: Oh, Steve, your sensor went the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) Bring the sensor back. Bring it back. Who bumped it? A second.
2: Oh, sorry. So, uh, yeah, no. So, I I wanted to uh, to have a more stable sensor. So, I ended up uh, drilling into my concrete ceiling. Nice, <laughs> which is <laughs> one done exactly as easy as it sounds, you know. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it actually, all things considered, went a little bit smoother than I thought. It's uh, it's not easy. I have high ceilings, and they are solid concrete. But the the level of devotion I have to my Vive setup was such that I was willing to drill into my ceiling, install a mount for the, the lighthouse sensor up there, and now because because I don't like to have everything like mounted all the time. I want to be able to take it down when I'm not VRing, and have you know I'm, you know, clean living space, but a when I to your neighbor's bathroom above right you. <laughs> so yes, that was my, my project over the, uh, over the weekend was uh, drilling a couple holes into my, my ceiling, which is, it, it's slow work. Are you, try. have you been able to play anything or? I have. And, uh, the stability is great. I, I was, I was seeing a little bit of, um, um, in, when in games, my, hands my controllers in the game would have a little bit of a almost like a mild tremor effect because the the sensor was swaying ever so slightly even literally with the breeze when my my ac would come on my sensor would start swaying a bit also my hands like why it's like i have a very mild case of parkinson's or something. <laughs> my hands are just trembling a little bit but now it's 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 pretty rock solid and i so like what's it. been
1: what's been your experience like the the, the your fave experience so far in Vivin.
2: I'm still sticking largely with kind of the core, uh, some of the core apps. I play a lot of Audio Shield. So good. Um, I love rhythm games. Yeah, and so I'm playing a lot of Audio Shield, uh, a lot of Space Pirate Trainer, a lot of Hollow Ball. Um, I haven't quite finished Vanishing Realms, but I, but I'm loving it so oh, far. Dude, that the ending uh, of that is so good. Oh really? Okay, I'll, I'll dive back into it. And then like I like the little sort of the the short experience, like Cubicle um another one of these games where they said to go into it not knowing anything i'm like okay i'll jump into cubicle and see what happens and i like it it's not necessarily essentially a game so much as just a an experience but it's cool i like i like the fact that we're creating kind of a new mm, weird kind of vr interactive art form and uh there's just so much I mean, there's just so much on the steam store <laughs> which is probably why we're all you know <laughs> get at the palm desert kind of spending levels with uh, with vr but um it's just great to see the, the amount of, of uh, experimentation and innovation on this. Yeah. Have you had a chance to try Battle Dome yet? I've not, but I keep hearing oh, about it. Oh, my
0: gosh. So I took the dive into Battle Dome this week. It was on a little bit of a slight sale because of the Steam sale. And if you haven't heard about this yet, it is uh, made by one person. And it's very rough. It's a very early state. The graphically, it is nothing to look at. It really is very ugly at this point. Uh, the the it, it's a multiplayer shooter game, and <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> pardon me, and all of the other players in the game are you, you see them and they look like almost like those inflatable punching bags that you got when you were a little kid. (laughs) They're very simplistic looking, just little heads, little hands with guns in them and a little body that looks just like a, a oval shape. It's, it's very unimpressive to look at. The whole world is simplistic. It's if you looked at a video of this game, you'd be like, why would I want to buy this? But it is really just a proof of concept of the concept And it proves that concept. It is ridiculously fun. Basically, it's VR first-person Splatoon. So (sighs) two teams in an arena, you have a rack of weapons that you can put into one hand, and you have a paint gun in the other hand. You move around the world by teleporting, as you do in a lot of Vive games, by pointing at a square on the ground and clicking, and then you teleport to that square – but you can only teleport to squares that have been painted your team's color. But once a, mm. a square has been painted your team's color, you can teleport to it no matter how far away from it you are. Other teams can paint over your color and you can, you know, you're having this battle of, of um, area control in the map of spraying around stuff. But you're also fragging each other and trying to get to the opposite side of the map to kill their core. It cool. is ridiculously fun. Because you can spray, you know, spray the ground and teleport to it, and then you can teleport all the way across the map, and your team is coordinated, and you're trying to like cover certain ramps and things with your color so you can teleport to them, all the while shooting people, ducking behind cover to avoid their shots. It is the full realization of that, you know, laser tag experience. And I jumped into it. I was like, I'll give this a shot. People on Reddit have been freaking out about how good it is. I'm gonna give it a shot. I'll play for, you know, twenty minutes. Two hours later I like breathlessly pull my <laughs> headset off as I'm like, I gotta take a break. This is insane. It is ridiculously fun. And and once, you know, it continues to be refined and they're actually, you know, put a layer of graphical sheen on it, it's gonna be something special, I think. It is real fun. Sweet. Yeah. All right. I'm checking that out tonight. And
1: it is called Battle Dome, Battle Dome. Thank y'all.
0: And the other game that I tried out is another early access kind of uh, just proof of concept right now, but it's also worth checking out. It's called Thrill of the Fight. And I think Christian, when you were over here, you mentioned wanting to have uh, a Mike Tyson's punch out for, for Vive. I think it works
1: well. Yeah. I I hope it works. This is kind
0: of that it's a boxing game and it's exactly what you would expect. You look down at your hands and your hands are two big boxing gloves And the world you're in is a big ring and there's a dude there who's throwing punches at you and you have to physically dodge them or pull your hands up to block and punch at him. And you can punch him in the face, punch him in the gut, wherever you want. You can dance around the ring. He chases you. (laughs) It is full on boxing. And the crazy part is too – you can do that thing in boxing where they hug each other to like stop a guy oh. <laughs> you literally put your hands or arms around the guy and and hold on to him and then it like resets resets where you're standing it's it's pretty pretty cool and it right now that only has one boxer and he's pretty easy to take down like i I beat him pretty fast. But I can imagine this game having a lot of functionality going forward and they're going to continue to refine it. Multiple boxers, obviously, probably multiplayer, you know, these kinds of things where you have a boxer that has certain strengths and certain weaknesses, all that stuff I'm sure will come in time. But the fundamental functionality of how it works in VR is already pretty amazing. Just seeing a guy lean in to punch at you and get his face all angry at you and and throw a punch right in front of you like that is is pretty amazing.
1: How does it handle hit detection? Can I do the VR thing where I run inside of him and, like, Matrix bust out of him? Uh,
0: You know, I didn't try that because I'm not trying to break every game I play, unlike you. But um,
1: uh, I'm I'm sure that there are... Sorry for still having a curious mind, Jeff.
0: (laughs) I'm sure there are issues like that that you could probably exploit because, as as I said, the game is in an alpha state right now. Um, But... I, you know, hopefully they'll figure out ways to mitigate those kinds of things. But it, it's it's surprisingly effective and surprisingly well done already, even in a very simplistic state.
1: Yeah, because I love the idea of room scale where you actually, you know, get to have quick feet and move around. Right. But then I'm wondering from a programming perspective if it's easier to do um, Oculus touch controls because then you're straight up just kind of playing punch out. You know, you can lean left, lean right, but you're not actually dancing around the ring. And I, I just wonder how they handle something like hit detection when it's you, <laughs> like, you know, or me being the idiot trying to put my head inside a well, guy's no, stomach. Well, you know, it <laughs> knows where your head is and it knows
0: where your hands is are. And so the relationship of those, it can create a you know a body. So I was getting my bell rung a couple of times when I didn't dodge out of the way. The the fighter that they have in the game right now is pretty easy to beat. As I said, I beat him the first try, and it, you know it wasn't a big deal because he he you know winds up for a swing and you just duck underneath it. But by the end, I was pretty sweaty from doing that. <laughs> uh, so I mean, it's already it's already fun. Uh, but yeah, it's you know when he hits you in the face, it like makes the screen go white a little bit. So there. Is cool. some sensation to having been, you know, clocked in the face. Uh, it's pretty clever. It's pretty. It's pretty good. Cool. Uh, so that is uh, the VR stuff I've been playing this week. Uh, let's uh, grab a little um, viewer question. I wanted to talk about this, uh, Steve. You were the first person that I talked to at E3 that had played Zelda. So uh, I think this, right. this email is uh, great to, dis- to discuss while you're here. Um, you can always send emails to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com uh, about anything, questions, discussion about the show, anything. We, we love getting those emails, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, this comes to us from two people, actually, Brandon and Kyle from Louisville, Kentucky. They write, uh, hey, Jeff Christian and guest, buddy of mine and I were discussing the new Zelda game and discovered a difference of opinion. I'm looking forward to seeing it go truly open world for the first time, whereas he doesn't see how this new one is any more open world than previous iterations. It caught me off guard because he's the only person I've heard with that particular view. We both listed games we consider to be open world, and most of them were the same, but it made me realize that the term open world means different things to different people. We thought it made for an interesting topic, so we wanted to get your opinions." Do you consider the Zelda series to be open world? If not, do you think the new one is a step in that direction? What elements does a mm-hmm. game need to have for you to consider it open world? And what games would you list as open world? So, what do you say to that, Steve?
2: That's a good question. I mean, the the, the Zelda, the new Zelda, uh, Breath of the Wild is is open world in the sense that you have the freedom to go anywhere. Which we've seen a little bit of that.
1: So. Steve's headset just kind of turns off sometimes, and that's what's happening. Sorry, just guys. FYI. Yeah, and, uh, big, oh, yeah, I next. like the idea that it is the Canadian government, <laughs> though, shutting, so the end the Zelda.
2: shutting down. Trudeau, Trudeau's like, you can't be talking about Zelda, yo. That's <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's some headset connection. Sorry, guys. Um, the, uh, it, I mean, it is all, obviously a more open world experience than the previous Zelda games. Um, it's an open world in the sense that you, it's not like GTA 5 open world where you can kind of set up these weird uh, physics-based situations where you're committing all these kinds of mayhem, although there is, for the first time, I think, in a Zelda game, some, some physics-based stuff to it. But what's interesting about Breath of the Wild is that it's it's sort of doing away with a lot of the linear progression, a lot of the sort of go to this dungeon, then this dungeon, then this dungeon – And yet it somehow still captures the feel of Zelda. And that's the thing I didn't think Nintendo was going to be able to do. I thought as soon as you take away – as soon as you give the player that much freedom and that much agency – you're you're hurting your your narrative. You're hurting your you're losing control of the progression through the game. Yet I mean I only played an hour of it. I played two half hour demos because the demo is about thirty five minutes in length. But even from that small taste, I got the feeling that this feels like a Zelda game. This reminds me of a Zelda game, and yet I can climb up to this this climb this tower, see this peak in the distance, mark it on my map and try to go there and I'm just going to I'm not going to pay attention to this this dungeon here or this shrine here I'm just going to like walk across the world and do what I want to do. So in that sense it's an open world game. Is it open world the same way that Skyrim is where you've got all these weird sort of emergent behaviors that can happen and all these weird things that can happen depending on how you upgrade your character or the equipment you're carrying? No, I mean it's not a full on full blown Skyrim RPG. But I think it's hitting a really nice mix of of bringing those elements into a Zelda game, and I was skeptical that it was going to work, but I was really I really enjoyed the tiny slice of it that I that I did play.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the whole term open world was introduced at a time when you basically every game was was uncharted, right? You you could basically go forward or go back, and sometimes you couldn't even go back. You could just you had a choice of either going forward or not going forward. (laughs) Uh, And so I think in that context, almost every game that's made now is quote unquote open world compared to where we were in the early days where it was all corridor shooters and invisible walls and arbitrary mountains on the side of your path. Um, So, you know, I guess you could say that compared to that kind of thing, all of the Zeldas are open-ish, but... You know, GTA 3 really is the, I think, harbinger of the open world revolution where we finally had the technology and the know how to create a world that let you go pretty much where you want, when you want, whatever you wanted. And so, in that sense, I think this new Zelda very much is more along those lines than any previous Zelda game is. And I think it really feels more open, uh, at least in that early stuff that we've played than any previous Zelda, even though other Zeldas let you have more choice, you know, on a superficial level. Mm -hmm. So.
1: I don't, I'm on team friend on this and I think I talked about it on one of our E3 shows, maybe not, but my example is Wind Waker and Zelda's before that where you could kind of go anywhere you, I mean, Wind Waker, you could get on your boat and you could go look for treasure, you could go fishing, um, you could go find islands that sometimes had nothing on them, you could sail forever and parts of the world were gated, but I, I, I'm i happy to be wrong, but I feel like this Zelda is going to be gated in, in similar ways too. And I, I think, Steve, you're right that you won't have to do dungeons in a specific order the way some Zeldas of, of past have required you to do. But I also think that you know you can't climb to the top of the cliff because you don't have enough climb endurance to get there because you haven't unlocked the gloves of climbing. true. And so I think it is big and open. I think what this Zelda is more so, though, is just a bigger world than previous Zeldas than for from what I've seen of it to call it a true, what we think of, Jeff, and I agree with you, like open, open world game. I think it will still be an incredible Zelda game, and Zelda fans are going to love it, and it will have a polish that Skyrim and Bethesda games can only dream of. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think it's going to be that... Yeah, open world game where you get an arrow to the knee or, you know, whatever. And you have these memes of, of characters that you meet along the way or the destruction where you're on, you fly a helicopter or, you know, Grand Theft Auto or Saints Row. And it's like, look what I did. I think it'll be, I rolled a boulder down a cliff and killed three goblins. Eh.
2: A lot, a lot of open world games are are gated in some yeah. way, though. Like, I mean, the old GTA's used to have you—you you had to open up the other islands to get to them, and and even games like Skyrim are, are gated in the sense that you can't go certain places without being a certain level. You're just going to get you're going to get slaughtered. So I think there's a certain there's I think there's a very small handful of open world games that are truly open from the beginning. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think there will be, uh, and I I think that's actually a a very specific um, and accurate example. Things like there will be places you can't climb to until you have the you know, update your, or upgrade your endurance or have special tools like, but I mean, that's also part of Zelda and that I wouldn't want them to take that out of Zelda necessarily. I, you know, I want to, I want Zelda to be, you have to have the hookshot to go here. You have to have the bow to go here. You have to have certain items that will unlock certain parts of the world. But I think in the meantime, you're going to have the ability to sort of run around and find these areas that you need these items to unlock later on. Does that make a truly open world? I'm not, I'm not sure. But I, I, I don't know. I think it's going to work. It's hard to say because we've seen such a small, tiny portion of the game. But I think, I hope, fingers crossed, that uh, Nintendo's found a way to bring these elements into a Zelda experience and still make it kind of a classic is, Zelda is, experience. Is that kind of what you were
0: hoping for from a Zelda? Or is it one of those situations where I didn't know I wanted this until I saw it?
2: Well, like Christian, I actually really liked Wind Waker. One of the reasons I liked it so much was the aspect of sailing around the world not with any specific destination in mind. Just like dropping an anchor or, or fishing or exploring islands. I love that aspect of it. So having that aspect in more of a, a, a land-based Zelda game is great. Um, I don't know. I mean, the Zelda games as as specific an experience as they are, they've always been fairly different from one another. There's always been a mechanic in each one that's been different from from the others. So... I don't know, man. You know, just make a good Zelda game. Get it out. Get the NX out <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Wii U abandoned. Okay, let's let's turn the page. Let's let's start anew. And I think Zelda would be I a guess, good place. I to guess do this it.
0: week they reconfirmed March 2017 for
2: NX. I still, I mean, I still can't believe it. But hey, if if that's what we're going with, that's what All we're going right. with. I guess we we'll, we will have to see something soon. They they've got to do some sort of event late summer early fall that is the official unveiling of the NX or whatever it will end up being called and uh you know until that is actually on the books and happens i don't see how they can be launching i don't i mean there's very little developer chatter there's there's very few titles confirmed for the NX you never stopped so i the nintendo's got, got hate <laughs> that truth
1: i was uh listening to the cheap ass gamer podcast when i was on the road and they brought up something i thought was interesting that i hadn't necessarily heard people talk about yet but with you know a march release of the NX supposedly or confirmed what is nintendo's holiday they don't have do one. they advertise do they advertise the Wii U at all or are they just save that money do they do anything do they, are there other any nintendo ads or like corporate deals or are they kind of just pretend it have, doesn't happen they have it?
0: paper mario coming out or mario something they have a 3DS game coming out right A big uh 3ds game no am i crazy
1: (laughs) my big you don't know what it is
0: Uh, (laughs)
1: but yeah it's i just don't when they brought it up i was like yeah that is crazy if that's a march release because three months out is when you start doing the hype machine and ad buys for your console right it's so weird so
0: weird yeah Eh, it's gonna be interesting uh it's gonna be real anyway um guys i forgot to mention earlier that we do have some bonus content as as we've it's kind of become a usual i guess and as you guys (laughs) it's on my website (laughs) jeff's gambling um no this is great it's gonna be good stuff uh i got a chance to talk to the uh Art one of the art directors for uh, "Here's the Storm." You know, I like "Here's the Storm." Uh, this is really fascinating. What you like? "Here's the Storm." Yeah. I know, it's crazy, what? right? Uh, it's <laughs> actually a fascinating <laughs> discussion because it's it's less about the game, although it's a little bit about the game, but it's less about the game and more about what art design is. And ca- he's a character designer, so it's about designing those characters and bringing them into the game. Really fascinating discussion. I was really pleased to do it. It's
1: his name so is. Uh, so I looked at characters in other Blizzard games, and I thought. <laughs> Put them in the game. Well, yeah, but how many different- I'm being dismissive, I know. does talk about that. Uh, Phil
0: Gonzalez is his name, and it'll be at the end of this episode, so stay tuned for that. But first, we do need to take a second and thank our second sponsor, Linode. Linode is a hosting company featuring high-performance Linux servers for all your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super-fast 40-GPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now, Linode offers two gigabytes of RAM, all for only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 customers trust the Linode platform, including 5x5. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted, on Linode. And getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit linode.com slash 5x5 today to support this show and uh, 5x5 in general. Use the promo code 5x5 for a $10 credit. Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E ecom slash 5x5. Simple, powerful, reliable. But let's carve out now a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. All right, Steve, uh, you have been playing a game that I like very, very much. Uh, That game is called Dead of Winter.
1: Hey guys, Christian here real quick just letting you know Steve's mic um, has a little bit of an issue here. I'm not sure what happened. It sounds like it's Skype interference kind of thing, but this isn't Skype. When we heard it live, I thought it was just on the internet recording, but it was on his local recording as well. So something happened. Maybe it was a cable shorting out between his mic and his computer. It's not very long, just a little bit. I don't think it's going to make you think your car is broken or anything like that. But um, just FYI, just for this little chunk here where he talks about a uh, board game he's been playing, it's a little staticky, a little Skypey sounding. Again, not sure why it happened, but I wanted to let you know. Okay, bye.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just sort of dabbled. I, I'm not a big, as you may know, philosophers. I'm not a big board gamer. I'm not a big board gamer anymore. I um, kind of grew up on that. But uh, yeah, I, I dabbled a little bit in Dead of Winter, and I, I love that kind of. Um, kind of co-op kind of competitive type experience and the the whole aspect of there being secret agendas um yeah it was a it was it kind of it was a game that brought me back into like why can't we playing more board games i mean video games are great i love my i love my video games i love my fallout but uh i gotta get back into the there's there's so much rich stuff available on the board gaming side and dead of winter really lured me back in that and the fact that i was an awesome betrayer i mean just you know psychological mind games all over the place just lured the entire the entire squad into
0: do you trap. think that christian do you think that that's going to be on the local recording too or do you think that's just the
1: i think that's internet i think that's he's in canada and we're in right. california there's a little audio clipping steve uh, no
0: it's so. okay i didn't want to stop you but i didn't want to leave <laughs> that in in case it was the case but um yes i love man you're right the Secret agenda stuff in Dead of Winter is really cool. Uh, Dead of Winter is a zombie game where you control not just one person but sort of a group of people. And you have to go from location to location and and gather supplies and search those locations. But there's always a possibility that in searching them, you'll uncover more zombies that will come at you while also shoring up your sort of base – Uh, where you're, you know, keeping people safe. And there's, if zombies are coming to the gates, you have to fortify those gates and make sure everybody's safe. But at the same time, every individual player has a secret goal that they have for them. And one person might potentially be a betrayer and trying to sabotage the goal. So you are all contributing resources to a common good, but one of the players might be secretly sabotaging that common good. And because you all have secret agendas for you to win, the group has to win and you have to meet your secret agenda. So sometimes you'll do something that is really for the good of the group and the good of yourself, but it looks like you're the betrayer because nobody knows what your secret agenda is. Uh, I think it's a really clever mechanic in the sense of like it it, it engenders those accusations among friends of you know totally <laughs> um, and it also has this really cool mechanic where uh, on your turn somebody else is has a series of of um, things that they're looking for and if if those all of those criteria are met they read off a certain story beat that happens so you don't know on your turn whether or not. You're even meeting those criteria because you don't know what they are, but somebody else is watching over you and go, ah, you did it. Okay, so now I read this, and so now this cool event happened. And it adds a layer of narrative to the game I think is really cool.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, The game is called Dead of Winter, and it's from Plaid Hat Games. Um, Highly recommended. It it won a lot of Game of the Year awards two years ago, last year when it came out. Um, Two years ago, I think. Friends Friends of the the show. show, Plaid Hat Games. Good good Uh, guys. Um, Really good guys. Also, uh, I've been playing – this is 4th of July and I had some friends in town this week. I played a, a parting game that I've had for a while. Also, another friend of the show actually, uh, John Kavalik, who uh, you may know as the artist on all of the Munchkin games. I've met him a few times. and He's a really great guy. He created a game called ROFL, uh, Roll on the Floor Laughing, as you might know it. Uh, and this game is all about those kinds of uh, what is the word for those? abbreviations? Anagrams? They're not anagrams. Uh, they're not. They're not even um, acronyms, acronyms because they don't spell out any other word, uh-huh. right? They just are abbreviations, I guess. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it's about cre- it's about communicating to your team in as few letters as possible. Yeah. So basically, oh, what a clever yeah. idea! So basically, <laughs> you cool. get a phrase uh, on a card, and and everybody, or everybody save one person looks at that phrase. And usually it's a phrase that's not particularly common. So it's not something that immediately jumps to mind. And then you have to figure out a way to convey that phrase in as few characters as possible. So you can use exclamation points and number signs and apostrophes and stuff. But you're you know you're trying to – it's sort of like name that tune in the sense that you're going to predict how many characters I can use to, to convince the person who's guessing what the phrase is. Uh, and everybody's trying to get as low a number as possible. The lowest predict- prediction, the lowest number of characters goes first, and if that person doesn't get it, the next person goes. So they have more and more information as they go along. Uh, but it's pretty clever, and it's pretty fun, and it works out really well. And there's a lot of laughing and, you know, like, what does uh, SLGG mean? Uh, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, you know, so long, good game. It's uh, obviously. Uh, so anyway, um it's, it's really fun. It's called R-O-F-L. It's a really fun party game that uh, plays easy, plays fast, is easy to explain, and people get it right away, and it kind of plays into cell phone culture, right? It, it, it makes cool. sense.
2: Every every Christmas, my my family we buy a some sort of simple to play board game or card game um, to play on Christmas Eve and uh, on on December fourteenth, our Canadian Christmas Eve. And I think that, that'll be that'll be the that'll be the choice. Yeah, there. it's a good one. If you yeah. haven't played
0: Code Names, I recommend that one as well. That's sort of the party game du jour lately as well. But uh, both of those are excellent party games. Um, it sounds very P.I.C.C. for sure. <laughs> P.I.C.C. Uh, P.I.C.C. <laughs> place i can plays into cell phone
1: <laughs> culture <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: indeed um all right so that's gonna do it for tail top time and actually that's gonna do it for our show we do have our parting gift come up, coming up so stick around for that and as i said bonus content coming at you uh really good stuff so don't touch that dial but i do need to thank steve tilly for being back with us so much fun talking to you man
2: Thanks for having me on this, uh, this independence day and, uh, and it's been, it's where can people follow you on the internet? Uh, probably the best place is just, uh, hit me up on Twitter. It's Steve Tilly, all one word. That's uh, T I L L E Y, And it's got links to my Toronto sun stuff and my other endeavors. So yeah, at Steve Tilly, all one word on the Twitter.
0: Christian, how about you? What do you got going
2: on this week?
1: Uh, I'm going to be in, oh, oh, good question. I just got back. Um, <laughs> I'm in San Diego a couple of times in July. I know I'm going to be down there Friday and Saturday, Comic-Con weekend at the Madhouse Comedy Club, and then bumming around Comic-Con too. So if you are in town without anything to do those nights, which I know it's there's plenty to do, <laughs> but I'll be doing uh, some jokes at Madhouse Comic-Con weekend and hanging out around Comic-Con. I'll be down there, I think, on the 14th. Is that a Thursday as well? Headlining. Um, comedy juice down in san diego and uh, follow me on twitter at spicer uh, twitch twitch.tv slash christian spicer and youtube which is youtube.com slash christian spicer 713 and um this oh my god this new site i just found you guys it is incredible <laughs> <There we go. laughs> christianspicer.com the guy running that never updates it it is it's um it's Amazing. Jeff, uh, what
0: about you? I got my usual reign of insanity. Uh, The the number of shows that you can check out with me include – Award-winning podcast award-winning We Have Concerns. (laughs) Uh, Thank you to everybody who voted, by the way, for that. Uh, Really, really proud uh, to win the podcast award for – in the entertainment category for We Have Concerns. Check out. If you haven't checked out that show, see what all the buzz is about. It's really fun. It's only 20-minute episodes. um, So give it a –
1: Wait, is there a video for
0: it? Now there is. Um, Yes! There is. You can check out video at our our YouTube, which I think is YouTube.com slash we have concerns, I believe. Uh, But you can find all of that at WeHaveConcerns.com. Also, the slash film cast. We just did a review of Swiss Army Man, which, by the way, guys... It was an interesting week. Me playing inside and and watching Swiss Army Man. It, it's like somehow they were thematically similar. It's it's very strange. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of that movie, but it's it's nuts. Basically, it's
2: I've heard of it. I, I it's it's getting it's, getting
0: it's really parts. really interesting. Yeah. Um, Daniel Radcliffe plays a a corpse throughout the whole movie. Um, interesting. Um, and that can be found at slashfilmcast.com. dot com. And also, I do tomorrow daily the. Tech show on CNET, although we have this week off, so don't look for that. This week, at tomorrowdaily.com. <laughs> and, uh, Twitter is at Jeff Kanata. Okay, enough of that. Uh, let's get to our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to
2: do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting
1: gift.
0: Steve, do you have a, a little suggestion that can get people through their week?
2: Uh you know what I'm so late to the party on this but I've I've only recently discovered Black Mirror. Oh, so good. I sure you guys have probably watch. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of I'm kind of glad I discovered it late because at least I have the you know the two mini seasons to watch and uh and the special but yeah, I had uh, uh somebody had told me that last year.
1: It does it's pretty great that it does happen Sorry. like right when it could be spoilers oh, yeah. every time. It's like you every know why? You
2: know why? It's because I was about to I was about to diss Canadian Netflix and I was like, can't happen, son, can't happen. I was going to say it's not on Canadian Netflix uh, except for the, the the Christmas special. So when I was down in America last, I would you know I like to fire up Netflix when I'm in the states. and am like, oh, Black Mirror, here we go, and yeah, I just burned through the. Uh, the, the I guess the six episodes other than the Christmas special that are on those. So yeah, if you don't know Black Mirror, it's a basically the Twilight Zone with every episode themed around the the dangers or perils of technology and how technology affects our lives. And you have to watch it, especially the first episode. Somebody works in the media. The first episode, which involves uh, the, the 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 British government, is incredible because I found myself asking, what would we do if that really happens. But yeah, kind of Black really Mirror is uh, <laughs> evidently really. Well, I get a sense it kind of did. <laughs> um,
0: maybe not. Too, yes, uh, and and cool news. Friend of the show and friend of the me, uh, Dan Trachtenberg <laughs> just directed an episode of Black Mirror, which will be debuting.
2: Oh no! For the uh, the third yes, season. Yes,
0: he is in London right oh, now. He just finished uh, Critical cool. photography, and uh, has. It sounds like it's going to be very very cool, and. I don't think I'm allowed to say anything, but I will say that it will be, I think, of particular interest to people who listen to this show. Uh, uh, his episode.
2: I, I interviewed it's him about <laughs> CSGO.
1: <Otters.
2: laughs> I interviewed him for Ten Cloverfield Lane. He said you're essentially a horrible person. Well, and he regrets ever. That does you. sound like something yeah. he would say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift?
1: you guys july first blink one eighty two also known as the one founding member of the band from the album Cheshire cat released a new album it's called California man if you um, love pop punk it's so good it's maybe not their best album but it's so much better than neighborhoods um it's it's incredible I would dive in if you're gonna sample some songs bored to death was their first single is great Um, Kings of the Weekend is probably my favorite on the album, and if you want to get, you know, nostalgic or melancholy, pop punk, um, San Diego and the title track California are both excellent as well. I really enjoy the whole album. I think Matt Skiba is continuing to do a great job filling in for the unfortunately crazy, um, Abducted by UFO, Tom DeLonge. Uh, it's really good. Blink-182 is California. If you like pop punk, give it a spin. I am also going to recommend a
0: musical endeavor, a, an album in your parlance of the day. Uh, and this falls into the category of friend of the me as well. Uh, one of my very good <laughs> friends I went to college with, um, his name's Jerry Jerry He, You may know him as the older brother from iCarly. He has a new band called Nice Enough People. And they just put out an EP uh, called Hanover Hideaway, and it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's $4 on uh, anywhere you get music, iTunes or Amazon or Spotify. Uh, Four songs, they are all delightful. I liken it a little bit – it sounds a little bit like The Smiths to me, which is right in my wheelhouse. Hmm. Um, He's the bassist. It is – it's great. And it, because he's my friend, I'm happy to recommend it. I hope you guys check it out. Uh, they are, you know, they're the little engine that could. They're, they definitely don't have a, you know, big label. They're not going to be going on tour uh, around the country anytime soon. Well, maybe they will. Who knows? But um, it would be something cool to, to support. Uh, if you guys check out those songs and like them, throw them four bucks. It's pretty cool. It's called Nice Enough People. Uh, and the album is called Hanover Hideaway, which when I first thought, saw it, I thought it said Hangover Hideaway. But no, it's Hanover Hideaway. All right, guys, uh, that's going to be it for this episode of DLC. We got that bonus content coming at you. I think it's pretty interesting. Check that out. Uh, thank you to Steve Tilly and Christian Spicer. Thanks to all the people in the chat room. You guys have been awesome. Thanks for hanging out with us on a 4th of July to uh, contribute and include your comments on the show. We like that. Thanks to everybody who sent emails to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world Make it a better place. I'm here with Phil Gonzalez, the lead character artist on Heroes of the Storm, Uh, one of my very favorite games in the world. Everyone listening to this knows that much. Um, But I'm a fan of everything Blizzard does. And Phil... uh, Welcome to the show, first of all.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, man. It's exciting to talk to you. You've been you've been part of Blizzard for uh, about a decade now, right?
3: Yeah, I just hit 10 years, and I can't believe all that time's gone by so fast. I started when StarCraft II was still a big secret and kind of helped that game grow up, and then about six years ago, Heroes of the Storm was in a very, very small capacity in its infancy state, and I helped shape that game and... Uh, pioneered a lot of what we're doing now with the heroes and it's been a ton of fun it's getting to work
0: on every universe we've developed and i just love it that's pretty neat i guess the way we should start is um i think in a general sense we all have an idea of what a lead character artist does you create the look of the characters in the game but on a granular level you know specifically what is your job what do you do day to day
3: so a lot of the reason I'm helping lead the team now is when I was on StarCraft II, um, I've worked with Sam Weiss, the art director for StarCraft 2 at the time, and now Heroes of the Storm, for many years. And part of that experience was becoming very, very familiar with Sammy's sense of style, his aesthetics, his sense of color, shape, proportion, all that stuff. And the more we work together, the more Sammy would entrust me to do things like I almost did the entirety of the Zerg race because by the time we got to it, Sammy simply said, dude, you know what I want. Like, here's a drawing. I'm only going to give you like a side view. You know what to do. And that relationship has, you know, been building over the years. And I got this job partially because I was doing fan art of things Sammy designed. And so now that I've had a career here for a while, Sammy says, you know, I know you're a fan of a character like Uther. And he's like, I know I can show you this drawing where, you know, it's for, it's from an RPG book and like the drawing doesn't have any legs on it and all this other stuff. And he's like, can you make that hero for our game and, you know, design the legs and I want to actually take his helmet off and we collaborate. And then I deliver this art and he's like, that's exactly what I wanted. Can you lead a team and show people what you're doing so they can do it as well? And that's essentially what I do right now. I, I spent a lot of time helping develop the base heroes, like the, the initial hero visual you see. I, you, I've done a quite a few of those. And now I'm you know training up people, and now they're starting to do more of that. But I was overseeing mounts and skins and monsters and anything that's character-related in Heroes of the Storm, I have had some kind of influence on just in the sense of mentoring people saying okay this this kind of would look better if we rotated some of these objects or you know these colors are kind of blending together let's separate them and um, I had a really great time doing that with my co-lead Ted Park I go after a lot of the shapes and he goes after a lot of the textures
0: and colors and stuff. I guess that explains why Uther has some of the coolest skins in the game Oh Uther yeah, Uther. And, and,
3: yeah and Uther Like because he's one of the older heroes we've just had more time to work on him and uh, we actually had like a really cool when we were figuring out what skins could be. Sammy did this awesome concept where it's just tons and tons of Uther's, and some of them I <laughs> hope we get around to do. Like there's a blood sale Buccaneer Uther, and I'm like, oh, ooh, that would be awesome.
0: Rad, yeah. I mean, I, I love I love the um, you know the lumberjack Uther is fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. The sci fi Uther is so great. I think he has some of the best skins in the game. Yeah, um,
3: and he was really just the test bed of. How much can we span in terms of could we cross universes, could we make him have an alternate reality skin if we did the blood cell buccaneer um you know when we tried the sci fi skin with the medic, a lot of people were concerned like, "Oh, are you not going to do a medic and have right. sort of an example of like no, we could actually do a skin of a character and do a full blown hero as the of the medic, and they don't overlap as much as you'd think
0: so When the team is thinking of doing a new character, like Gul'dan is coming into the game next. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously Gul'dan is a major character in the Warcraft universe. Uh, You guys, I'm sure, have been talking about Gul'dan for a long time. He's a big part of the Warcraft movie that's in theaters now. Uh, So is it that the team comes to you and says, okay, we're thinking about doing Gul'dan. What's the approach? Or how does that work exactly?
3: Um. I would say a lot of the roster is driven by a couple of significant factors. One of them is the design team is simply looking at the climate of the game and saying, okay, um, ranged assassins are very popular in the community. The more variety we could put in that category of uh, hero class, that would enrich our community. And the other part is there's a simple just want in terms of character popularity and stuff like that. And so the design guys, I think in this example for Guldan, they sent us a list and said, look, here are some very specific hero roles we have in the works for 2016. You know, there's maybe five ranged assassins and some tanks and all these other classes. And they're like, we want to do, you know, a WoW character, a StarCraft character, and like who fits these categories. And um, there's some names that come up all the time internally as well as in the communities like Reddit and our internal forums. But uh, one of them who's been on the list for a long time has been Gul'dan. And with the stars kind of lining up just right with the class needs, the popularity, the art needs... Um, it was just finally kind of showtime, and it was a kind of a happy accident that both Medivh and Gul'dan are coinciding with the WoW movie because they were both really high on the list. People love those characters.
0: So, do you start with a like a two D hand drawn uh, uh, rendering of a character, or do you start building it in three D? What is your process of designing the character?
3: So, the process for design, I scour as much of the images available of a character at the time as possible. And with Gul'dan, we're talking about a character who's 20 plus years old now because I believe Warcraft 3 or 2 came out sometime in 92 or something. I mean, it's it's he's been around a long long time and because he's been around a long time, there's been several different iterations of him visually. You have, you know, this Warcraft 2 artwork which was literally a pair of portrait drawings and then you have He made an appearance in Warcraft 3 where he was like a generic warlock but they did a different warlock model it's like okay there's things to look at there and then uh, Sammy did a portrait of him for an RPG book that came out between Warcraft 3 and WoW just kind of adding more richness to the universe and then we didn't really see Gul'dan in a custom capacity for a while in Burning Crusade there was a model of him wearing, you know, a warlock armor set, but it wasn't like a specifically designed version of Gul'dan until Warlords of Janor explored, like, what do all these chieftains look like, and they really undertook a lot of great design um, liberties with these characters, and Gul'dan was one of them. They kind of incorporated the design of that warlock armor set from Burning Crusader, like, no, these spines on the shoulder pads are actually coming out of his back, like, he's mm-hmm. He's so twisted and corrupted that that's actually like a wild growth. And that, I thought, was really interesting. It really moved the character forward in a kind of just indulging his persona and the things he's done in his history. And uh, they've continued to develop Gul'dan with the Warlord storyline, and he'll be back in Legion. And then, interestingly, you know, the the WoW movie was spinning up, and there were some drawings of him. And there were some similarities, but there are also some things they were exploring that are a little different and as I was saying we gather all those images together and with some of these heroes it becomes kind of tricky but it's like how do we find that like personification of a character when we blend all these things together and like okay well you know he's I, he's got a beard he's got the hood he's kind of got this decrepit uh physique where he's really hunched over and mm-hmm. his his skin is just kind of gross and he's been dabbling in things that are probably really unhealthy and almost looks like he's going through withdrawals and addiction at the same time. And, you know, the, the spines were a great element to incorporate and all those things were considered and um, thought of very carefully as we move forward with finalizing his visual that we're going to show off in heroes.
0: And one of the things I've heard Dustin talk about too is, you know, this game is primarily played looking down on these characters. And uh, Dustin has mentioned several times how it's important to be able to for everybody playing not just the person playing that character everybody has to be able to identify which character that is very quickly uh how much of a challenge is it to create you know a silhouette that's easily identifiable and this sort of you know over the top looking down on a character that you instantly know who it is and it has some of that characteristics of of, of the lore right there
3: yeah that's a great point cuz we iterate on those characters very, very thoroughly until we get it in a place. This is before we even start texturing or anything. Like just the basic shapes need to work. And the process we went through with Gul'dan Dan is we have um, a couple orcs that are already in the roster, Thrall and Rhaegar. And immediately one of the things I'm very big on is immersion. And part of the immersion, that fantasy and that feeling of, you know, this is a real universe and everyone's come together is The characters, I make a very diligent effort to make sure they're all the same relative height and proportion to each other. And so I brought Thrall and Rhaegar together and I kind of decided, like, you know, Gul'dan is really powerful. I want him to be a bit bigger than Rhaegar, but I don't want him to feel more imposing than Thrall, who's in the Doom uh, plate armor and stuff like that. Thrall needs to feel mighty. And, you know, if I ever want to... You know, if I made Guldan bigger, it would kind of diminish Thrall. And I feel like Thrall is a much bigger character. And, you know, it's important to kind of have those relationships. So I got Guldan's um, Wow model from Legion. And I got the model from Cinematics that they used for the opening of Legion, which are tremendously helpful. And I have scaled it and I put it next to Thrall and Rhaegar. And I'm like, okay, he's going to be about here. And then I start blocking in proportions and making sure their heads are the same scale. So you know if they were all you know just portraits lined up you're like oh, okay he, like he fits with the other works and that his uh his height was adjusted and how much of his back we were seeing when he hunched over and adjusting all those spines coming out of his back so you could see you know 3 to 4 of them at any time all together and then one interesting thing we did with Guldan is he has this kind of a uh, He's wearing a robe, and there's kind of this creepy vibe I wanted to get from him because there was a gentle giant statue done of Gul'dan from the movie. And when he squats down, there's like a robe opening where he has a loincloth and the robe on either side of his legs. And there's like this gross moment where he squats and like these old yucky legs come out. (laughs) And so we talked to the animators about that because when he's traveling out of combat, he's kind of upright and the robe's flowing and stuff. And then when he gets into combat, he almost does, like, a sumo squat. And you just get this kind of, like, it suits him. It's a little offensive. You're like, ew, come on, old guy. And it's his legs are all wrapped in, like, money bandages. And it just kind of it, it helps sell that fantasy. And we start talking to the animators really early. We're like, okay, I want to I want to have this kind of weird moment. And could, do you guys feel like you're on board with this? They're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And we wanted him. Uh, our budgets were pretty... Uh, restrictive on him in terms. He has so much uh, surface area in terms of the spikes, his big hunchback, the robes. When you that's say something- budgets that's
0: like polygons, right?
3: Polygons, the textures, and part of the budget. We're like, okay, you know what? I think it'd be kind of cool. Like he carries a staff all the time, but we have some characters who already have staves, and I think it'd be kind of fun if he wasn't holding a staff in this version. Like he's just got these huge orc hands that have all these like really gnarled, gestural, knuckly, gross. Which he kind of poses to him and uh, that worked out really cool too because everything he does is this kind of flourish like almost like a conductor where he's just expressing with his hands as well as being this really malevolent visually corrupted looking character on his own
0: it's, it's so cool to hear hear this stuff i love the idea of, of collaborating between you and the animators and going back and forth and saying you know i had this idea and then it really feels like a you know a, a team working together as it as it obviously is
3: yeah, and it's fun because when you pitch stuff like that, the animators will say like, you know, what if uh, what if like when he got up on his – to mount up on a bike or a horse, like he stood up straight and he like he flipped the, the robe behind him and you kind of got a, another shot of those legs. I'm like, yeah, and so that's how he mounts. Like he kind of gets up with some gusto and throws his robe back as if it was a coat and you're like, oh, stop showing off those legs, dad. And you're like <laughs> – it's just – yeah, it's kind of funny.
0: It's interesting to me, too. You mentioned uh, Thrall having the Doomhammer armor. You know, uh, Warcraft, World of Warcraft, and in even Diablo, these are games about getting new stuff for your characters and, and seeing these characters acquire new armor sets. And I wonder, in designing characters like Sonya and Vala, and uh, that characters that are, by their very nature, are wearing a whole bunch of different things in the course of a player's experience with those characters in their actual game how you come to deciding what their sort of baseline look, their most iconic look is going to be.
3: Yeah, that's definitely tricky because the Diablo characters, you're absolutely right. There's a huge range of armor sets and visualizations we could kind of riff with. And we think about that a lot in terms of like, okay, if we ever do just a cool run of Diablo armor sets, which ones would we pick? Because their default visuals, we all kind of looked at what, Diablo was doing in terms of how they were presenting the characters themselves and there was these iconic looks they always kept coming back to. The the Demon Hunter and the low-level red-hooded scarved armor set. Mm-hmm. The Witch Doctor, they really loved that uh, armor set with the purple and green fronds and the big uh, head mat, headdress and all that other stuff. And we really took Team 3's lead, the Diablo guys, and just said, okay, this is what they felt was the most iconic. This is what they did and we'll follow that example. And we've done that for pretty much each of the character classes.
0: It's really cool. I, I definitely want to talk about skins because, um, that's so, there's so much fun. And I imagine someone in your job would be having a blast kind of, you know, coming up with these wild versions of characters, uh, explain to me what that process is about is are there is is there a too wild version is there a challenge in going too far afield of what a character looks like so that you get confused at who it might be what is that process like oh
3: those are great great questions to ask and all those are very valid things to bring up because Uh, internally we do have a mailing list where people submit skin ideas and if you ever want to have fun with Dustin Browder in an interview just ask him which ones are the craziest ones because he sends them to me like I already (laughs) see them and he's like did you see how crazy this was I'm like Dustin quit it (laughs) and he just goes so he just laughs and there's a lot of fun ideas and there's a lot of ideas that are kind of beyond our capacity with our budgets and like you're saying changing the visual visualization of a hero too much it really creates a interesting challenge of like okay well we can kind of trust that our community is aware enough of the way a hero plays and responds that they'll put it together and they'll be like oh i don't recognize him but it's look it's behaving and looks like a sonya whereas we're always very apprehensive about if we change this too much we we might be confusing people and we don't want that confusion to Permeate into the community and make things harder for them to interpret just the basic gameplay elements. Mm-hmm. And um, you know we've had a lot of discussion because there's a very serious want to have a serious skin for Stitches. I and prefer
0: the beach stitches, man. That's oh that's the beach my go-to. stitches
3: is seriously <laughs> scary too. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, we we've experimented. We have like a, a Death Knight armored Stitches that we've been wanting to kind of try out. And when we've tested it, we're like, oh my gosh, he looks. Like the butcher, like mm-hmm. when you armor up, stitches he becomes so close to another character that we're really apprehensive about. Can we get away with this? And some people in the feedback sessions say, "No, no, no, it's fine." Like that's, I know it's the butcher, and I know that's stitches, and other people are like I can't even tell them apart. And you're like, oh man, like no, no one's wrong, but we're trying to find the most amicable solution to that problem.
0: Yeah, and I guess even you know with a game like Starcraft where. You're pulling characters that are in their own game part of vast armies that all sort of look the same. You know, I'm thinking of like Raynor and Tychus. You know, these are characters that look pretty close to each other because they're wearing basically the same armor in their own game, and you Mm -hmm. have to figure out a way to make them unique in this game where differentiation is so important.
3: Yeah, and with both those characters we've kind of made soft rules of all right, you we're never gonna do a blue um marine suit on Raynor, and we'll never go You know, pure black on Tychus it's just these standards we kind of have to experiment with and with Stitches and the Butcher once again the Butcher only gets warm colored tints like oranges and reds and stuff like that whereas Stitches is all these putrid cold colors the purples the blues and stuff so we try to keep those characters that are similar separated in that way so they still have their identity and you're like okay I, I don't know why but I always know if it's blue it's Tychus
0: Do you, in designing uh, mounts, do you, or you know, when you're designing characters, are you having to think about their mount? You you mentioned that with regard to Gul'dan and his, you know, his sickly legs. Are you always having to worry about, well, is this character going to fit on a mount? How are we going to do them? I mean, there are certain characters that don't don't go on mounts at all. Um, Yeah, yeah. What what is that? consideration like
3: yeah we we have some templates that we experiment with we basically know the rough shape of any mount a character could ride on and when we start building them we immediately put those templates in and we're like okay it looks like this character will work fine with the vulture the horses the tigers all these different mount types uh chromie was kind of a fun adventure and like oh my gosh she can barely reach the handlebars and (laughs) and she's standing on the seat right and um there's other characters that, you know, if they if they have, you know, like a dress or a robe on, it's like, okay, well, then how are we going to move that dress or robe out of the way when they sit on a horse or something? And so we do have to consider all those little challenges so when you do mount up, it doesn't look too um, off-putting when a character is mounted. And you're like, I see all this clipping, like Diablo's tail is missing. What's
0: going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love how Tracer rides horses, how she just sort of squats on them. and
3: Yeah, and, it's kind of casual.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, and I happen to also love how my Kael'thas, uh, when I was riding on my, uh, on my piggy bank, like his robe billows out over the back of it and stuff. I <laughs> yeah, mean, there's yeah. a lot of joy to that as a player. Yeah,
3: totally, totally. And they put so much work into every one of those moments where they can imbue a character with more personality, if it's through animation, effects, anything like that. There's so many talented people wanting to epitomize these characters that they've loved for so long, just like our players and fans have.
0: You mentioned, uh, liking Uther. Are, th- are there any other characters that are your favorites? Uh, their look and feel is you're particularly proud of,
3: you know, um, everyone from Warcraft two, because that was the game that really got me into Blizzard games and especially the Warcraft franchise. I would take that warcraft 2 manual on road trips in the summer and just read it and do
0: fan art of you know these characters and don't you miss were... manuals i used to do that oh, too man when i couldn't play a game i was reading the manual i loved it
3: yeah and I, and then like they put so much energy into like here's why catapults are cool and it's like a description of you know they're crafted from this wood and how powerful they're and you're like this is geeky like i can't <laughs> wait to go back and play the game yeah and um i would do that so much with the war 2 manual and there were only five heroes in that game and until the expansion showed up, but they were, you know, Uther, who is just one of the first paladins. He's awesome. Lothar was in there and I hope we get to do him one day. Uh, Zul'jin, I would love to see him show up in Heroes because he's a troll and he's one of these just kind of mythical characters in his own right because he's just been whispered about so much in World of Warcraft and stuff. Yeah, and no
0: trolls yet, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's he deserves his turn yeah. and, um, you know, Cho'Gal, it was really, really great to bring him into the game and now we're getting to see Gul'dan and I've always loved Chogol and Gul'dan because they were kind of these prime villains and they were creating so much catalyst and conflict in that universe that even you know the horde turned against them and it's fun bringing those characters into the nexus and being really detail-oriented with them like uh, if you notice when you see the art for Gul'dan and if you look back at Chogol Neither of them, even though they're Horde characters, they don't have the Horde symbol on them at all because they're kind of these selfish... Hmm. They are into, they have their own interests, and they don't care about the Horde like Thrall and Rhaegar do, who proudly wear that symbol. They're, they're wearing their own clan. You know, Choba has this big Twilight's Hammer belt buckle, and on Gul'dan's art, we, um, we're we using that same iron plate that the Asgul'dan skin has, where it's the Storm Reaver clan, and it's really fun, and I think the fans... Of the characters in the games really appreciate where it's like, yeah, these dudes are just self-centered, horrible jerks and that even reflects in, you know, their clothing, their accessories, their their dialogue, their animations like we go so far to kind of embody those characters and I'm really happy we're kind of bringing another War 2 guy into the fold. I, I love that game so much and we have two left so we're getting close.
0: That game was my first Blizzard love as well uh, but as somebody that mained a drenaï paladin in wow since burning crusade i'm still hoping for a drenaï at some point soon so
3: oh that's a good request too do you have a specific class or character in mind
0: um what is the name of the i can't even remember his name the guy from the, from uh the drenaï guy that uh from burning crusade uh that is like the main dude that leads you through one of the uh instances at the end uh, i can't remember his name oh it's
3: not valen it's it's um It's one of the. He's kind of like a paladin guy. Yeah, that's
0: that's. Yeah, I'm I'm a paladin. So. Oh no
3: no no, you're um I think you're talking about uh, Kama. He's like a broken right? Yes, exactly. Led do through burning the burning temple or the black temple. So fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very cool.
0: Uh, Anyway, we'll wrap up. Uh, This has been. I could talk to you for hours uh, because I love this game so much and (laughs) love this universe. But I I just want to end on this question. what is somebody that might want to do your job someday what is what would advice would you give to a kid who who might want to get into being a character designer
3: i would definitely say that um part of creating games is finding ways to explore your own creativity and understand the tools and the techniques that the people who are making games are using and just get in the middle of it and experiment and start trying that stuff um I would have never imagined that fan art would have been a segue for me to do this professionally. I was simply, you know, like we were talking about, obsessing over these manuals, really loving these worlds and characters, and I wanted to interpret them my own way. And I started drawing them, and amazingly, the people I'm working for now saw those drawings. And they're just like, "We've loved your fan art for years. Like we're we we saw you get better and better." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're watching me grow." and that's not just fan art there's a lot of resources out there where you can make your own levels you can make your own custom character art you simply have to you know just search for it and it's pretty easy to find a lot of that stuff and get all these resources online just look out there and read how people are doing these things what tools they're using and you know try it what's the worst that happens is it's not that great well it's your first time like try again like this there's you know such a rewarding feeling for exploring that creative space and coming back and iterating and getting better and better. And before you know it, you're so much more valuable than you would have ever imagined that people recognize that value and they want to collaborate with you and bring you into projects and you get to do this stuff for a living.
0: Awesome. What a, what a great sentiment. Uh, I really appreciate you being here, Phil Gonzalez. Thank you so much for your time.
3: Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for talking to me.